What's up? What's happening on a Thursday on the Hoffman Show on the Team 980? I am Craig Hoffman, joined uh, by, of course, super producer Anthony Haney. Haney, how are you on this Thursday? Uh, I'm a little sad. Why are you? Well, now you're sad because your headphones are busted. Uh, yeah, I'm a little sad because uh, this is going to be our last show for a while. It is going to be our last show for a while. I am taking some uh, much-needed time off next week uh, that actually kind of starts uh, tomorrow because we're going, we're going to see my niece uh, and, and my in-laws uh, in Ohio. So I'm excited, excited for that. Um, but it does mean that I'm off tomorrow. Uh, Doc is in. So the, the audience, you're in very good hands. Just Anthony and I are going to miss each other a little bit. Are you going to text me in the morning and just be like, hey, what do you want to talk about today? And I'm going to be like, whatever you want, buddy, because it doesn't have to be the radio. Uh, I think I'll probably get myself together where I'm about to text you and then think, ah, Craig is out, actually. Right. You're going to let me enjoy some yeah. time not thinking about yep. football topics. Mm-hmm. Thanks. But that's, that's true friendship. If you would like to you know, come on the show at any time during your break, let me know. <laughs> Buy you a segment? Yes. Who knows? I mean, a week off is a long time. Now, it I, is. I think, I think we're still going to do take command. So, like, I will get – we'll scratch the itch a little bit. We could always send you a take command segment. Then I don't have to do it twice. That's fair. And I'm sure Doc would take the, the segment and be yeah. like, yeah, I'll, you know, he's he, – you know, he loves Logan. <laughs> his, uh, his fellow Bruin. Yep. Anthony, I could be in trouble here. I just got a piece of the protein bar I just ate, which this feels like a very Hoffman thing to happen. Mm. I just got lodged in my throat. I don't have water upstairs. I'm in the home studio today, and I am two flights away from water. Anthony can't help me. Rachel just left. So she's probably now listening to the show driving, being like, you big, giant dummy. I would help you if I was home. There's nothing I can do. Uh, I think I think I cleared it. I think we're okay. There we go. Uh, also, in case anyone's wondering, I don't have a cough button at home, so I can't get fined. I try my best to at least lean away from the microphone. Mm-hmm. So that's uh, that's kind of where we are. Just off to a raucous start here on uh, on my Friday, but the Thursday edition of the Hoffman Show. Um, obviously, our main story today is going to be the press conferences that happened uh, an hour and a half ago. In Ashburn, Joe Witt Jr. burned down the building. Everybody's ready to run through a wall. Uh, everyone's super psyched. Uh, and Cliff Kingsbury uh, is very, very efficient in his speech, Anthony. I feel like we have now switched places. Uh, last year, it was the offensive coordinator, Eric Bieniemy, who we were like, long sound bites, get ready. Um, although I feel like Joe Witt Jr. is a lot more substantive. EB was a lot of platitudes. Um, but Joe Witt Jr., uh, he, he'll give you an answer, and Cliff is just like, bang, 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 done. And it's not like he doesn't answer the question, unless he's like intentionally not answering the question. But he is – it's actually something that um, I remember talking about with Logan that he had heard and that um, kind of the way Cliff operates. And even Cliff talked about this on the podcast that I've mentioned a couple of times, the, the interview – or the podcast he did with Peter Schrager and Sean McVay back in 2021 or 2020 during the pandemic when Sean decided he was going to do a podcast for like seven episodes. And it, it talks about like how Cliff is a very efficient on purpose with how he delivers stuff to players because he knows that attention spans just aren't that long. And it's like, here is what you need to know. Okay, get out of here. 
and I think players probably love and respect that about him, um, where definitely we've all been in meetings uh, where they can drown on. Um, I actually saw a clip earlier today from the Let's Go podcast, which is Tom Brady's podcast, where it's him, Julian Edelman, and Randy Moss talking about some days back in New England when Randy would like beg the coaches to not have meetings. Like Randy Moss did not like meetings. Randy Moss threatened to retire weekly over meetings. He's just like, no, I don't want it. And apparently there was one time we actually should pull this for real things, Anthony. Um, it's on the let's go podcast, Instagram page, but Randy would, uh, like he'd get the receivers together and be like, we're getting this right. And it's because he had gone to Bill O'Brien, who's the offensive coordinator and been like, I got it. We're going to handle it. We don't need to meet about this because Randy didn't want to have a meeting. So it was a form of accountability to get Randy Moss out of meetings that Randy Moss was a leader in New England in that very specific way. But Cliff, very short and to the point. And I think I want to talk about both these guys to start. And then I have kind of some, I think, deeper, more interesting thoughts on some of the things specifically that Cliff said next. But I, I came away impressed with both for different reasons. I think that when you, talk, when you listen to Joe Witt Jr., the thing that you immediately get and gather is that he understands teaching and that that is ultimately the job. The job is to understand who you are talking to and how to get them information. And I thought he shared a personal but very important anecdote or, or factoid. Like he's dyslexic. So he is used to being kind of screwed by the way that we educate. And it's not that this is a dumb person by any stretch. Listen to him for five seconds. You're like, that is a smart man who has his stuff together. Um, he's got a lot of energy. He's fired up. But like there's an intelligence that just comes streaming out of him in terms of understanding of what the job is and, and a passion to ultimately get it done. But when you have a learning disability and the system doesn't really account for that by the system, I mean, like, you know, public academia or most academia, um, especially in the times that Joe Witt was was coming up. I mean, this is not someone who is coming up in the modern school system that is better equipped in these ways, or better school systems that are equipped in these ways. We know more now. We, we have better ways to equip teachers, and, and we're more sensitive. And I use sensitive as a, you know, as a positive word. We're more sensitive to these things now because we realize how much potential has been lost by looking past people who couldn't learn because of things beyond their control. Um, but because he has gone through this and experienced life this way, he, the word he used, he's like, I'm used to teaching to the creative learner. So he has different ways that he can get his points across to people. And he talked about how if a player can't learn from a coach, that's a coaching problem, not a player problem. So that's just not going to fly in the ways that it felt like guys like Jamin Davis and Emmanuel Forbes and, every other young player that seemed to go through the defense over the last couple of years by one coach or another would get left behind. And you have the same mistakes over and over again, and you're just going, you can't develop players this way. And I think Joe Witt Jr. understands that. And I don't know whether they would use those terms like player development versus just like, no, that's coaching, but it's one in the same. And ultimately that's, what's really important. I think when you talk about what Cliff brings is clearly a high level of thought about, offensive football and I think he also is someone on the communications front that is extremely on message um a couple of reporters and I don't say this again like it's Nikki and Sam who I think did a great job and asked the right questions but they tried to get a little bit more information out of him 
about the process in terms of coming here. And Cliff very clearly had a plan that he was not going to talk about that. And instead of what happens a lot of times, which is you have an ability to peel back the layers if you are diligent as a reporter and ask questions and follow up and you can you you sense a little bit of an opening here, a little bit of an opening there, and you can finally get some information. Cliff just shut it down. Cliff was like, I don't want to really want to talk about the process. I'm really excited to be here. The fan base, the ownership group, blah, blah, blah. He answered the rest of the question. Follow up, you know, can you do that? I really don't want to talk about the process. Period. He just stopped talking. Uh, Sam follows up, asks, hey, how is Magic Johnson involved? And Cliff, like, chuckled. He's like, I don't want to talk about it. We're, I'm, I'm, and then he just stops talking. Like, that is a, a person who understands what he wants, who he's comfortable saying, understands what he's not, and is extremely and poignantly on message. That is an effective communicator. And ultimately, obviously, it's got to get through the players. Ultimately, he's going to have to be able to do that as a, as a teacher and as a coach. But seeing those skills, I, I immediately see some of the reasons why uh, Dan Quinn was attracted to these men and in terms of bringing them in as a coach. Uh, and why he trusts them to lead because the coordinator position is not just like, can you coach offense or defense? You are coaching and over an entire staff and you got to understand how to put it all together and how to get everybody to work together. And I think maybe some of the ways they go about it are different, but also there's some underlying important similarities in terms of effective communication that come across from both men in their press conference today. However, I think the most interesting thing that comes out of this press conference today is the way Cliff Kingsbury described what the commanders are going to do on offense. And I think the not to ruin the whole next segment, but I don't think Cliff Kingsbury knows what the commanders are going to do on offense, which could be amazing and is also slightly terrifying. I'll explain next. It's the Hoffman Show. We're on the Team 980 and always live on the free Odyssey app. It's the Hoffman Show. We're on the Team 980, always live as well on the free Odyssey app. Coming up at the bottom of the hour, just over 15 minutes from right now, ESPN's Field Yates dropped his mock draft 1.0 yesterday. He joins the show, and then if you haven't heard Take Command's mock draft 1.0, you'll hear the first part of it coming up at the top of the hour. So great little draft uh, bit coming up. Uh, also, uh, in between those two, thoughts on the top three quarterbacks and how they could fit with Cliff Kingsbury's offense, which brings us to Cliff Kingsbury's offense. Cliff Kingsbury, uh, obviously, played for Mike Leach at Texas Tech, uh, air raid guy in terms of how he came up. He then took that offense that he played very well in as a quarterback at Texas Tech, uh, didn't really play a lot in the NFL, did get a Super Bowl ring as a Tom Brady backup in New England, but retires, goes into coaching, uh, goes to the University of Houston where he pairs up with a guy named Kevin Sumlin. Very quickly, he impresses Sumlin. Case Keenum, who somehow is still playing in the NFL, uh, not somehow like as in, you know, a, congrats to Case. Like he's been around a while. Like congrats, that, that wasn't meant to be a shot. Kind of sounded like it. Anyway, point is, Case Keenum was his quarterback back in the day at University of Houston, and they broke records like case was throwing like 50 touchdowns it was nuts um and then someone goes to texas a&m cliff goes with him uh cliff's the oc by this point uh had great success with johnny menzel obviously then he gets the job at texas tech has Mahomes, yada yada and he's kind of running air raid the whole time 
Now, as he got to Arizona and got his first shot in the NFL, we saw what I would not consider a true air raid offense, certainly a lot of air raid principles, but there was a lot more to it at the NFL level. So that leaves this huge question now as Cliff Kingsbury gets his second shot in the NFL, this time as just an offensive coordinator, not as a head coach, and he brings in Anthony Lynn. He brings in Bobby Johnson. He brings in Brian Johnson and multiple other coaches that have other backgrounds. Keeps Tavita Pritchard. Uh, David Blau uh, is now the assistant quarterbacks coach who played for Cliff briefly in Arizona um, and really impressed him, one of the smartest guys uh, in the NFL in terms of a backup quarterback. Feel, big Dan Orlovsky vibes. Like, played a long time, even though he didn't actually play because he wasn't that good as a player, but, like, brilliant and worth having in a meeting room. And so now the commanders are going to pay him to be in the meeting room as a coach instead of as a quarterback. Um, but you have all these different backgrounds and, and how does it all come together? And Cliff said something today directly about that, the roots of it all, the air raid that I think is significant and fascinating. Here is what the commander's new offensive coordinator said. Yeah. At Texas tech, um, university of Houston, you know, we had case Keenum and Patrick Mahomes. So we were throwing it a ton and it was spread offense. Just like a lot of those are you get in the NFL, you, you learn the nature of that game and, and the different personnel groups and, um, the matchups and, and things like that. And I'm not sure where we were on, on pass percentage my last three years there, but I, I know it wasn't at the top. Um, so we want to be balanced. We want to be able to run the football and, and, uh, play action pass and, um, really do whatever it takes to win. But the air raid deal is, is, you know, I'm honored to be a part of that because it was Mike Leach, and I have a tremendous amount of respect for him, but uh, I wouldn't categorize anything we do under that name. R.I.P. to the Pirate. Salute. Uh, but to hear Cliff say that, considering how much reverence he does have and how easy it would frankly be to lie about it too, to be like, yeah, no, that's what we're doing, and then just not do it, um, I think it's pretty significant. And the Air Raid has a lot of interesting concepts. And I think actually the Air Raid, from what I know about it, has a very useful place structurally in the modern NFL. I'm going to get real nerdy on you here for a second, so hopefully uh, I do a good job explaining. But we think of coverages, specifically zone coverages, of how they're drawn up in Madden, because that's most of our daily you know, non-professional football player uh, exposure to them. There are kind of dots on the screen, uh, shaded areas, and you're responsible for that. Or, you know, there, if you want to go slightly more advanced, it's like, yeah, okay, cover three, for instance, to a basic, basic cover three. You have the two corners that are responsible for a deep third of the field, so like 15 yards uh, of depth and to, to the end zone. Divide the field in thirds. And the corners are responsible for the outside two-thirds, and one of the safeties is responsible for the middle. Then take that 15 yards to the line of scrimmage and up, divide it into quarters, and that's, that's your area. That's realistically not how zone coverages work in the NFL anymore. The, the Vic Fangio school has blended these zone match concepts that wind up being very amoeba-y in terms of their coverage. So, you know, yes, a receiver might enter your area, and then you latch on and follow him. And how you match that could look very man-to-man-y. And thus, the zone beaters that coaches have come up with for years, like, oh, we need to you know, pull a defender out of one area. You know, double slants can, can pull a defender out of one area of the zone and then vac- create a vacant hole behind. Or that first slant is open because it's a different zone. Like, a lot of these route combinations, you know, that attack uh, flat, 
slant and then, you know, uh, whatever behind it or mesh concepts. Like they, they all are designed to attack that more static version of zone coverage. And when you latch on, it messes it up because a guy that's supposed to run and break free all of a sudden or have an area to sit down once he clears a, a linebacker over the middle, that's not there anymore because the linebacker just latched onto him. And what the air raid theoretically does is it reads space, not coverage. So we don't care whether you're in cover two, cover three, or some of these. Even, you know, there was kind of a step in between of zone match and uh, kind of your basic coverages of, of something like a cover six, which looks like cover three on one side and cover four on the other. And so to have why, why it's then called cover six, I couldn't tell you, but that's, that's kind of how it goes. Again, I was told there would be no math. So the, the idea that you're reading space is actually very helpful. And to have that as part of your offense, I think could be very beneficial in the modern NFL. Uh, don't take my word for it. Take the word of Matt Ryan, who, when he joined us last summer on take command, talked about how he started to do that more where instead of like he would have games where he had big games and completions. And if you asked him afterwards what coverages the defense was playing, he wouldn't know. Because he'd be like, I don't know, we just decided we were going to put, because they were playing this amoeba coverage that we didn't really know what it was because it got so messy, we would know that we were attacking the safety. And based off where the safety went, I threw it where he wasn't. And so that is kind of, on some level, how the air raid works, at least my understanding of it, is it's this space reads. It's attacking players. It's putting them in conflict. And so taking that and combining it with other offenses – seems like a great way to build an offense in the modern NFL. Let's take some of the zone uh, running game stuff that Kyle Shanahan has done very well. Let's take some of the gap scheme running stuff that other teams have done very well, that Bobby Johnson is very familiar with and Anthony Lynn is very familiar with. Let's take all of that stuff, marry it with some of the pass game concepts, some of the protection rules, uh, and some of the fakes and all these kinds of things with the air raid you know, route concepts, and now we're cooking with something. However, and some of that is already happening around the league, I would say. However, how you do that, how you go about building it is, I would say, both exciting, but also moderately terrifying because you have to build it from scratch. And so how do they go about building it? Cliff Kingsbury today on the personnel side of this and where I think this gets, uh, I would say, a fine line between exciting and terrifying. Yeah, I haven't got... I would say far enough into it, but obviously there's the explosive pieces on offense that you notice. Um, but I'm about three games in, so we have a ways to go. But um, yeah, I'm excited. I, I think there's some pieces there. So what are we building here? Is it around Terry and John? Is it around Brian Robinson? Is it around whatever this quarterback is, which means we can't start building the quarterback and or building the offense till the quarterback's here? That what happens if that quarterback gets hurt? Like they did have a little bit of that in uh, Arizona where they built the offense around Kyler, which like, you know, there is a little bit of what they used to say with the Indianapolis Colts where um, I think it was Howard Mudd. It might have been one of the other assistants, but uh, one of the old Peyton Manning coaches would say, like, what, well, what happens if Peyton gets hurt? And he goes, we're bleeped and we don't plan for bleeped. It's just like, well, there is no Jim Sorgi offense. Like we're just we're screwed. Um and that's a little bit what happened to them in Arizona. Kyler goes out, and a lot of the offense that was built around Kyler doesn't work as well with Colt McCoy and David Blau and et cetera, obviously. So ultimately, I guess what I'm getting at is this. I think 
you have to have principles that you're building off of. And I trust that Cliff Kingsbury has been around the NFL long enough to have principles. There are going to be certain non-negotiables. But even in the way he talked about Anthony Lynn's role, where it's, he said, like, oh, we're figuring it out. It doesn't seem like they have much of a plan beyond get smart people in the building and go from there. Which, again, is not the worst plan I've ever heard. It's a lot better than, hey, we have a bunch of people that are mediocre at their jobs and we have the track record to prove it. But if we just keep running it back because we all know each other, it'll go great. A.K.A. the first three years of offensive coaching of the Ron Rivera era. Um, so I, I trust that there are smart minds in the room. I trust that they have all bought in that Dan Quinn and Adam Peters and Cliff Kingsbury would not sign off on them if they weren't all on board with the idea that, hey, we're going to build something here. And taking the experiences from all of these coaches, I would say, and then taking also what you want to be as an offense and filling it out personnel-wise, seeing what you have, how do we accentuate the strengths? I think that plays into to what I call my dude theory, which is like, let's get the good dudes the ball. So let's take what Brian Robinson does well and let's make sure it's in the offense. Let's make sure we see what Terry and Jahan do well and make sure it's in the offense. I love that. But it does come with a level of concern that you are building it from scratch as opposed to saying, we know this stuff works. Here's how we're going to do it. We've tested, proven, found errors, etc. Building it all at once, making it all come together and not really having at least publicly, and I will also say, I, I, you know, they don't have to tell us everything, but I don't know why you'd say, like, yeah, we don't really know what run game coordinator means yet if you do. Um, not really having clear lines of, of who does what and what's what's responsibility is a little scary to me. Collaboration is great if it turns into true collaboration. And this is where DQ is huge. His force of personality and the way he runs a building has a massive... I would say calming effect on my nerves as I give you this take. I, I trust that they can get it done. If you had, if I had to bet one way or the other, I would bet on it working. But I would not be doing my job in kind of giving you the whole picture if I did not say that some of this, some of the lack of clarity, some of the lack of uh, concise, clear vision and responsibilities, etc., does it make me a little nervous? Ultimately, it's not my job to figure it out, uh, but we'll see what the results are, and we'll certainly be talking about them all fall along here on the Hoffman Show. When we get back, Field Yates joins us. ESPN NFL insider gives his mock draft 1.0. Who's he's got going to Washington? And then we'll talk about some of the top quarterbacks and how they could build an offense around them coming up at 445 here on the Team 980. Stoffman Show, we're on the Team 980, always live as well on the free Odyssey app. And joining us now for the first time in a while, it's our pleasure to welcome back our good friend Field Yates to the show, ESPN NFL Insider. Field, what's up, man? How are you? I'm doing great. We are rolling along in week one of the NFL offseason, and yet it's a reminder that the NFL never stops. As, what, four days after the Super Bowl is over, 
all kinds of news. It's draft season, free agency is less than a month away. It is a great time to be a football fan. It's so funny hearing you say it's like week one of the NFL offseason because like it is, but also like if you're a local team, you know, or if you're a local person, you cover one yeah. team who's been out of it. It's like week six at this point of the offseason. Totally. But like yeah. it is kind of 100%. this weird dynamic of like, you know, if you're Kyle in San Francisco and you let go of Steve Wilkes, which what a you know that kind of comes out of nowhere and it's like well everyone else is hired a d coordinator and so also you feel terrible for steve wilkes because had he been available six weeks ago like who knows what job he would have now um but that's kind of just how this all works uh the reason that we have field on though specifically is because he has released his mock draft 1.0 and field uh you have the same thing that that we did our first mock draft on the podcast yesterday mock draft 1.0 for us and you went the same place we did, LSU quarterback Jaden Daniels for the Commanders. Why do you like this fit for Washington? And how realistic is it that Daniels has jumped Drake May in the eyes of many evaluators as you talk to people around the league that this is this is going to happen potentially at two where I think all college football season, we thought that it was going to go Caleb Williams and then Drake May. Yeah, I think people need to remind themselves that a lot changes in the course of one college football season. And I also think people need to be aware of this. When the conversation surrounding the top quarterbacks continues over the next two months, it is not a two-man race. It's a three-man race. I'm just telling you that's absolutely unequivocally how the league sees these three quarterbacks. This is not simply the Drake May versus Caleb Williams debate. Jaden Daniels is right in the thick of it as well. No player did more to help his draft stock this season than Jaden Daniels. Won the Heisman Trophy. Put an LSU team that was frankly bad on defense had a limited offensive line, put him on his back, or I guess on his shoulder and his legs because he had an unbelievable season as a dual-threat quarterback. Threw for 40 touchdowns, ran for over 1,000 yards. The guy was lights out in big moments. He has all the clutch production you could possibly ask for out of a player at this stage of his college football career. Uh, he is no doubt in the conversation for the best or second-best quarterback in all of the 2024 NFL draft. So actually, I'm glad you said that that way at the end there, the best or second best. Like how varied are, as you, you talk to more and more uh, of, you know, NFL personnel types, uh, which obviously you know so well, uh, for those that don't know, Field uh, has worked in an NFL front office before, even though he's been doing the media thing for a bunch of years now, maintains great contacts, has a great eye, all of these things. So as, as you look at it and as you talk to other folks around the league, like, how tight is this three-man race, and, and how varied are they not just two and three, but one through three with May, Daniels, and Williams? Yeah, I think if you did a straw poll of 32 GMs, you'd probably get the most votes for Caleb Williams. But I think you'd get a couple votes, a handful of votes perhaps for Gene and Daniels, and maybe a couple of others for Drake May as well. Listen, when you go back and watch the 2024 season, the player that played the best out of the three is Jaden Daniels. Caleb Williams had a bit of a step back relative to the season he had in 2022, but he also had one of the greatest college football seasons ever in 2022. So a step back was borderline inevitable. Drake May had a step back as well, but Drake May in 2022, there are four major awards that a freshman is eligible for in the ACC. Only twice has a freshman won all four of those awards. Jameis Winston back in Florida State and Drake May in 2022 in North Carolina. I'm talking about rookie of the year, newcomer of the year, offensive player of the year, and player of the year. He had a monster 2022 season. Like Caleb Williams, likely to take a step back. That being said, Drake had more moments, left you feeling a little bit less inspired this season relative to Caleb Williams, which is why the conversation around Caleb 
still being quarterback one is still very much in play. But you're kind of you're 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 you're, you're what's the I'm looking for picking Nick is the word I was looking for right there as it pertains to these three quarterbacks. Right, they're all tremendous. They all have a different style of play in which they operate. And I would tell you this. If you land one of those three quarterbacks, you mean the three teams in the top three, I guarantee you there's enough talent in each of them to build a successful offense around going forward. We talk about quarterbacks that fail in the NFL. Sometimes teams fail quarterbacks. These three quarterbacks are all capable of being an architect for a long, long time in the NFL. Uh, But the job for Adam Peters, assuming that this team does not make a move up or down off the board, is having to decide between QB2 and QB3. If we assume that Caleb Williams winds up going number one, it's a fascinating decision that will reverberate for a long, long time in D.C., probably a decision that will reverberate for a long time in New England, as I suspect the Patriots will take the leftover of these three quarterbacks. High stakes, but there's a lot of upside for all three of these kids. I don't think this is a situation where you can truly go wrong. Field Yates, ESPN NFL insider with us. So, Field, I'm going to run my dream scenario by you as someone who knows the Patriots very well. <laughs> uh, my dream scenario for Washington oh, is that – It's not happening. What, what do you think I know where is? you're going. It's not happening. What, what do you think the Patriots, is? The Patriots say we need to get up to pick two and we're going to give you you know, a boatload for Why for are you crushing two. my dreams, Field? Why, is it, why are you so I adamant that it's not happening? tissue. The league is going to do that this year. We just saw the Panthers trade everything to get from nine to one. The jump is not as big to three to two, but the leverage Adam Peters would wield if he is talking to the Patriots at pick two is actually fairly strong, right? The Patriots would only call you if they feel like, hey, whether it's, if it's on the clock, it means that there's just one remaining that they like. If it's before the draft, it's all right, hey, we know there are two that we like. We don't like quarterback three, but that's incredibly unlikely to me. Uh, think about the, the, the cost. I mean, for the Patriots, it's so prohibitive for a team that's got a bad roster. Like, they can't afford to trade two, I'm sorry, three plus 36 plus like a first-round pick next year to move up one slot. You just can't do it. Simply can't do it. I get it. It's a dream for the Commanders. In the same way, by the way, it's probably a dream for the Bears that the Commanders offer everything to move up to pick number one. And you probably say if the Commanders did that, no way, Jose. It's just not worth it. So I get it, but for the teams that are trying to move up, trying to move back just to one spot, highly, highly unlikely. Yeah, I, I guess I, my hope would be that, obviously, like let's say the Commanders love Daniels, the Patriots love May, and the Falcons love May, and you can get those two teams going against each other, and you basically tell New England, like, look, we're comfortable trading out, like we're willing to lose Daniels. Um, obviously, that would come with its own set of criticism, but like we're willing to to trade back here, and so you either take, you either come get him, or or we're going to trade out, and that Robert Kraft gets desperate. Um, but I guess you're you're saying that's. Don't play on it. Okay, I will. Much here's here's what's more likely. Okay, more likely is a team moving up from further back, Atlanta, because the as an example, right? The reason why a team like Atlanta might do something like that is they may say, "Hey, we're quarterback away," but if you're New England, it's completely miscalculating where your roster is at right now. Understand that free agency has not taken place. If you think that you are just Drake May. Or Jaden Daniels away, you trade for the second pick, you draft that guy, and you're all square, even Steven, no problem, right? You also will have diluted multiple premium assets in the process. I'm just, the cost is not going to be three to two, like, hey, here's three and our fourth rounder for pick number two. 
When it's a quarterback involved, it's going to be a massive haul the commanders would get. Meanwhile, if you're Atlanta and you're, you know, I don't believe that they are just a, a quarterback away from being a real true blue Super Bowl contender in the NFC. But if they have sort of different viewpoints of it, or they feel like, hey, we just hired this new coach, we want to go all in, the division's not very good, let's capitalize on this window, they may be the kind of team that says, we'll give you eight, next year's first, and something else to make it worth your while if you are the commanders. But if you're the commanders, the question you have to ask yourself is that if we move all the way down to eight, are we willing to run it back with Sam Howell this year? And how does that impact how things look at quarterback beyond this season as well? For sure. Uh, the other question, I guess, then becomes in, that comes into the equation is what do they think of Bo Nix? How high is Bo Nix's stock after the Senior Bowl where he had a pretty good week? Yeah, I would say that Bo is one of those guys where there's, I think there's a beauty in the eye of the beholder for the quarterbacks that are not the three that we have been talking about. Caleb Williams, Drake May, Jaden Daniels. I'm not saying that those guys will be stacked up identically for every team around the NFL. My guess, though, is that most teams will have them viewed as the top three quarterbacks in this year's class. Bo Nix, Michael Penix, J.J. McCarthy kind of form that next tier in my estimation. And I think teams can view those guys very differently depending on both how they want to play the quarterback position and what factors that each one of them has may or may not matter. In the case of Michael Penix, you're going to have to evaluate the medical history. I know people will tell you, well, he's been healthy since he got to Washington. Totally fair. I'm just telling you that I'm not a doctor, and NFL team doctors in some cases are notoriously conservative. They may say, hey, we just don't feel like this is a worthwhile investment at this point of the draft. Bo Nix, most experienced quarterback literally ever to come out of the draft. He started more games at the FBS level than any quarterback in college football history. Uh, is a much different player than he was, though, in the early portions of his career at Auburn. I like Bo. I think he's got you know some pretty compelling traits. The upside, though, is definitely a different level of upside than the three quarterbacks that we have discussed already. I do think that the quarterback that you and I have both mocked to Washington is is still the most likely scenario, though, in Jaden Daniels. How do you like that fit with Cliff Kingsbury and, by the way, the rest of the staff that they have now built in Washington, Anthony Lynn, Brian Johnson, and company? Yeah, the idea of Jaden Daniels is really fun in D.C. because, while it's not as simple as just getting a quarterback. Obviously, protection was a problem this past year. Some of that was on Sam, but some of that was also on the offensive line. Uh, but they've got two at least really good wide receivers. I know Jahan Dodson took a step back this past season relative to what some of us thought he would become as a potential second-year breakout. But, like, I, I would, first of all, I would go find Terry McLaurin and, like, I would, I would see – how he's feeling, because uh, I'm sure he would be thrilled to have a quarterback of this caliber on the roster. Jaden Daniels completely changes the geometry of how you're able to play defense. It's a very simple but also difficult pickle that defensive coordinators face. You play man-to-man defense against a quarterback with the rushing ability of Jaden Daniels, and he breaks the pocket, and all your cornerbacks are manned up on wide receivers, and your safeties are manned up on tight ends and running backs. And you're probably going to give up a lot of space to a running quarterback who averaged over eight yards per carry this past season. If you play zone, he's adept enough right now to pick you apart with his arm as well. This kid's a legit thrower is Jaden Daniels. So um, he just, the minute you draft Jaden Daniels, the minute he's in your huddle, he makes life easier on your offensive line and he makes life way more difficult on the opposing defense. 
Field Yates, ESPN NFL Insider. Catch him NFL Live and all of ESPN's vast NFL programming and uh, ESPN.com. You can check out the full mock draft 1.0. Field, thank you for your time, sir. I'll see you in Indianapolis at the Combine. Can't wait. I'm looking forward to it already. It's the Hoffman Show on the Team 980, always live as well on the free Odyssey app. Take Command Mock Draft 1.0 coming up in about 10 minutes. Uh, An hour 10 from now, J.P. Finley joins us uh, after he's done being uh, a a television star. Uh, He will bless us here on the lowly radio uh, coming up at 6 o'clock. Radio's awesome. Who am I kidding? Anthony, why did I do that? Why why am I being self-deprecating today? What are we doing? I don't know. I'm, I, I wish I knew. I feel like I have a little bit of the senioritis going. It's my uh, okay. last show before a time off. Just, just feeling a little loose. You're really rubbing it in, man. Sorry. Because I'll be here tomorrow. You will be. Yes. I like literally keep forgetting that it's not Friday. Nope. Which I realize now I'm just rubbing it in more. But I really, it really, that's how my brain is operating at this time. Um, so I want to I wanna run through the top three quarterbacks real quick. And I'm sure we'll do versions of this uh, in more detail over the next couple of months. But we have like three minutes here, four minutes, before we get to take command mock draft 1.0. Also, by the way, our debut of our NBA tiers coming up at 5.30. All-star break, good time to start it, uh, especially as our NFL tiers disappear into the offseason. So we will rank all 30 NBA teams on the same four tiers that we did all the NFL teams coming up at 5.30. But... Uh, three quarterbacks at the top of this draft. And I was wondering if Bo Nix could make this a top four. I do think that that chasm is going to be too wide. It is going to be these three guys off the board likely first. And then I do think there's still a little bit of a wild card between, I really think it's between Penix and McCarthy for QB four, which is weird because I also think McCarthy could be QB six very easily, but I don't think Penix is going to jump into four. Reason being, McCar- the, the, the opinions on McCarthy are going to be all over the place, in part because there's not a lot of film for him. Um, even though he's played a, a decent amount of football, they run the ball at Michigan way more than these other places. So there just aren't a lot of throws on tape for McCarthy and pass plays on tape to break down. And so with the smaller sample size, there's more room for variety. Um, with that said, I do think there are elements of all three of the top quarterbacks games that could fit in whatever Cliff Kingsbury builds based off of some of the stuff that he has done in the past. Cliff today was asked directly what he looks for in a quarterback, gave a funny answer, then gave a real one. Uh, the Chiefs quarterback? That'd help. <laughs> uh, no, um... I do think the game, as you can see, you watch those guys, Brock and him at the end, like when the money's on the table, you got to be able to make some plays um, with your feet, move around enough to escape a bad play. And it doesn't mean you got to run like Lamar or Kyler Murray, but you better be able to move a little bit and um, buy yourself some time because the, the D-line, the rushes, the defense these days are so good. And, and then the intangibles, you know, you want that player to be the hardest worker on your team. You want them to lead those guys. Um, each and every day when, when he shows up in the building, you want him to lift the building up, and um, that's why those guys make the type of money they do. So the leadership elements are going to kind of be uncovered over the next couple of months, and this is an area where I think a guy like Nick's, a guy like McCarthy, um, I think Penix is this way too. Like all those guys certainly could could impress with 
their leadership capabilities. You know, as Field told us in the last segment, Bo Nix has started more college games than anybody in the history of the sport uh, between Auburn and Oregon. So there's like great leadership there. And I do think that Drake May and Caleb Williams and Jaden Daniels are all well-respected within their programs and, and seen as good leaders with good intangibles as well. But the movement part, I think, is interesting because – that is like if we're going to rank them one, two, three, the best mover of the bunch is obviously Jaden Daniels is a runner. Caleb Williams is elite at avoiding stuff within the pocket and kind of moving around, keeping the eyes downfield, that kind of stuff. And I think that's a, a criticism of Jaden's game is can he I heard, I heard a scout uh, a scouting type say this the other day. Can he marry the pass game and the run game together? where he, when he takes off to run, keeps his eyes downfield and makes big plays with his arm? Or is it like drop back, he's good from the pocket, ball comes out on time, great, or he, he extends it a little bit, and then he's a runner? Can he have more of a hybrid between the two? And then you have Drake May, who is super mobile for sure, not as much of a runner as the other. Well, I would say as much as Daniels, not as good of a scrambler as, as Caleb, because who is? Um, but they all have that big arm and the ability to make a playoff schedule. So that checks the box. And then I think you get to kind of the resume piece, and this is where it becomes pretty fascinating and, and what Cliff Kingsbury said earlier today. This is not an air raid offense. Um, certainly we'll have some air raid concepts, but this is not like a pure air raid. And they're, you then look at like what Cliff did in Arizona, and he really attacked outside the numbers in a way that I think would benefit the current personnel of this team. If you can get a good running game going like they did with James Conner that Washington would theoretically be doing with Brian Robinson and then get the ball outside the numbers to DeAndre Hopkins, Hollywood Brown, et cetera, that they had uh, AJ Green there in Houston or sorry, not in Houston in um, Arizona. And then do that with Terry and Jahan and whoever else you bring in here. Like that's, that's something that Jaden Daniels has a lot of experience with. He was a guy who threw a ton outside the numbers because he had two first-round picks at receiver, including Malik Neighbors, arguably the best receiver in the country. So that experience and that comfortability making long throws to the sideline and hitting a, a ton of go routes, the touch and the layering that, that he has, I think, even though people tie Cliff to Caleb Williams because of the USC tie and the RPO stuff that Cliff has run, and some of these other guys, by the way, that have been brought in have a ton of RPO experience that Caleb's great at. The air raid, uh, you know, Phil Longo's name came up in this press conference, the former offensive coordinator at North Carolina who gave Drake May a start, um, and they've kept that offense at North Carolina even after Longo has left. Like, these things are very obvious, but if you look at the traits that Cliff likes, I actually think Jaden Daniels is an excellent pick. So, needless to say, I think with the offense that they could build, you could push more of the air raid stuff, more of the RPO stuff, more of the quarterback run, whatever, based off which one you draft, but it does feel like all three of these would be good fits with Cliff Kingsbury and the staff that he's put together here in Washington. When we get back, we'll talk more about how this draft could go down, uh, parse out some potential options at number two for Washington. It's Take Command Mock Draft 1.0, full first round. You'll hear it uh, next here on the Hoffman Show. It's the Hoffman Show. We're on the Team 980, always live as well on the free Odyssey app. Anthony, I'm going to throw you under the bus a little bit here. But also, for people younger than me, I'm going to throw myself under the bus. So Anthony just played the uh, the French Hour opener. Um, and it, 
that spawned because in the break I said, I am retired. And Anthony did not get the reference. Nope. I did not. So there's a, there's a famous early internet, like one of the first viral videos ever, was this like sketch, I guess it's a sketch comedy, um, uh, by this company. I think it's called Albino Black Sheep uh, was the, the company. Um, or the, the people, I don't know, whatever, whatever they were called, the outfit that produced it. Um, but it was about like a nuclear war, which sounds way less funny when you say it out loud than it is, or than the video was. Um, it was just like the idea that like all these countries were going to start firing missiles at each other and the whole thing. And like the French were involved and it's like, but I am tired. And it's like, okay, so take a nap and then fire the missiles. And it's a whole thing. And now I'm going to require you after we hit play on the Take Command Mock Draft 1.0 for you to go watch it. And then we'll discuss later in the show. Um, so if you if you get the reference and you're you're like, Anthony, how could you not? But I, it also is like one of those, those situations where the age difference between us is enough that I'm actually not that surprised that you didn't know the reference. But I'm going I'm to teach you about the early Internet days today, Ant. Thank you so much. You're so welcome. I'm just here to educate. To educate the youth. Thank you, old man. <laughs> I'll take. I take that. I deserve that. <laughs> I deserve that. All right. Uh, mock draft 1.0. Uh, I explain how we do it in the in the clip, so I don't need to over explain. Logan, me, draft picks. Let's go. It is time for mock draft 1.0 here on Take Command. Logan, does it feel good to be back in the war room? If you're watching uh, on YouTube, you got the draft in front of you. It does, man. It's exciting, you know, like, uh, and again, like the draft is so funny. I had, I had a coach tell me one time, and I didn't even think about this, but it's so much prep. It's 400 guys of prep for like five picks, you know? And so like, this is always just a reminder, like all that work for just such a, such a small thing. So, yeah. And we, you know, you do, you run a bunch of mock drafts if you're a team to try to do a bunch of different scenarios. And I will, I will tell uh, the listening audience, I did a test run to make sure I remembered how to use this little mock draft simulator. And lo and behold, when I hit start draft, I was very confused because Caleb Williams was on the board. Uh, we're going to let, here's how we're going to do this. We're going to let the uh, computer pick for every other team, not Washington. So Logan and I, we do mock drafts later on in the process. We'll pick for everybody. Yeah. But for today, for mock draft 1.0, we are going to go through pick 40. So we'll get the, the commander's first three picks. We will let the computer pick for everybody but Washington. Also, we are going to pick as ourselves. We're not trying to anticipate what Adam Peters and company right. will do. We're going to so do really. what we would do at these spots. Right. I mean, they don't know what they're going to do yet. So, you know, their guests, their guests would definitely be better than ours. Uh, but uh, it, it is, we're, we don't have any intel. We're not doing this based off information. We're doing this based off of our thoughts for positional needs and what we think of the players and all that kind of stuff. So uh, when I hit play on, on the first one that I did as a test, uh, the Bears <laughs> took Drake May. And I was like, sure, I'll take Caleb Williams at two. Right, Select. Right. Um, I doubt that's going to happen again. I guess we're about to find out. Any other uh, disclaimers or things that we want people to know before we dive uh, in? And, and we'll, we'll go through a couple of picks as we go through the list that are surprising to us, you know, of the sim, just to give some context. But yeah, it's yeah. You know, computers picking, so. Yeah, so we'll we'll definitely give some feedback. We are using PFF's Mock Draft Simulator, uh, which is obviously going to lean into their rankings. If we used another Mock Draft Simulator, this might come out differently. Uh, that's all the background. Three, two, one, Logan. Time to start the draft. All right. Uh, the team before us, the Chicago Bears, has taken Caleb Williams, which wow. leaves the top player. I know, stunning. <laughs> stunning. 
especially after they didn't on the last one. <laughs> um, so that leaves top players on PFF's board, uh, just to, from a position or a positionless uh, standpoint. Marvin Harrison, Drake May, Malik Neighbors, Joe Alt, Brock Bowers, Roma Dunze, uh, Cooper DeJean, the quarterback, uh, cornerback out of Iowa. Uh, on down the list, obviously, Jaden Daniels is going to be someone that we're going to consider. Yeah. Uh, Dallas Turner, Jared Verse, the top two edge guys. Uh, but Logan, I, th- I think that we are both in the camp right now that quarterback is the way to go. Uh, yeah. But it, let's let's play the game for a second. If you weren't going to go quarterback, what would you do? So if I wasn't going to go quarterback, I would try to trade back. Obviously, that would be the first thing I would do, right? If I could trade back out of this spot, I think that would be excellent. Again, because, uh, you know, if you don't love one of the quarterbacks and someone else does, they're going to pay a lot to move up for that spot. And I look at right. all these dynamic playmakers. You got your Marvin Harrison Jr., your Malik Neighbors, your Joe Alts. Like, those guys – like, Joe Alt and Marvin Harrison are really easy projections to NFL starters. So let's say you got one of those guys at five, for example, right? And you got another pick in the first round, and you're able to draft another dynamic playmaker. You know, name your guy. Because I do think there is a lot of talent in the top 120 picks of this draft that you should feel good about. So if you could add picks there and add a pick next year, I think that's 100% the way to do it. But, you know, like, I think it's going to be really hard, honestly, to pass up on a quarterback at two, especially because I think you're going to fall in love with one. I think the staff, I think teams on the league are going to fall in love with one of these guys because I've already fallen in love with one of them. And um, I don't know how you feel, Craig, but I think we should probably take a quarterback. Or do you want to trade I, I think so, too. So my dream scenario, I was telling you about this the other night, and, and you were very excited about this. My dream scenario is that the quarterback that we don't fall in love with or that Washington doesn't fall in love with is the one New England falls in love with and that someone else is also in love with that guy. So essentially what you can do is trade back one spot because you can call New England and say, hey, you like Drake May, right? And they're like, yes. It's like, okay, we we want Daniels, but we are comfortable trading back to five or whatever else because we think we can get someone else that we really love and the let's say it's five because that's the Giants, right? Yeah. Uh, or the Giants are at six. So like, hey, we don't love our guy that much that we wouldn't trade out and go back to six. So if you want Drake May, you got to make a trade with us mm. at three. We'd rather go back to three than six. But if you don't make the trade with us, we're going to trade back to six and the Giants are going to take your guy. Now you get to fleece New England out of something, move back one spot, still get your guy and get an extra asset. That's the dream scenario. But you also can't overthink it. You don't want to lose your guy. And you could get played by New England and they could wind up stealing your guy uh, from you. So I think that if if you like one of these quarterbacks, you just don't mess around. You make the pick. And I think that's what I would do. I I would also point out just from an informational standpoint, if you want to get an extra first in this draft, Arizona is the team you want to trade with because they are sitting at four. They have Houston's pick 27 and actually wonder, like, would this trade get accepted? Four and 27. Yeah, it says would likely be accepted. So four and 27 for two. Mm. That's that's very intriguing, especially if you're going to wind up at four getting Marvin Harrison Jr. or Joe Alt. Or maybe can you convince Arizona that they that Marvin Harrison Jr. is going to get drafted by someone else like that to me is the ultimate scenario. But. I do think I would probably just draft a player. And I think that player is the same guy you want to draft. Which is who? Who's your guy? Jaden Daniels. Yeah, Jaden Daniels is my guy too. I, you know, And again, we're still early and quarterbacks are hard to evaluate. And again, the difference between them is very small. But 
there's just in that 2023 season, he was awesome. And again, he turns down open receivers to run the football. He's not a perfect prospect, but there's something about it, man. The ability to make plays when you need to make plays. There was something, you know, that reminds me of the playmakers at the position in the NFL. And I just thought that's the guy. And it was a down year for Drake May. I acknowledge that. 2022, he looks awesome. But, you know, I'm, I, the recency bias is high for this. So I would probably go Jaden Daniels. I would too. I just, I look at the way, you know, you can't punish him for having open receivers, uh, especially when all he does is put the ball in stride to the open receivers down the field. Like that accuracy still yeah. is accuracy. Even if he doesn't have to make as many contested throws, he's going to have to make at the next level. He also doesn't throw the ball over the mi- middle of the field as much. That was kind of the offense, but you do see him hit throughout some of the, the season, yeah. like some backside digs and like those throws are there on his tape. They're just not as frequent because of the way the offense is called. The thing that you obviously need to figure out is like mentally, how is he going to operate in this offense? Right. It is a space read type of offense. It is not a, prog- a pure progression type of offense or sorry, a, a coverage reading kind of offense. So like how does... How does his ability to read your offense match up with his skill set? Um, that's the question. But from a physical tool standpoint, great arm strength, great accuracy, unbelievable explosiveness as a runner. Does need to learn how to not look like a cartoon character when he gets hit. Yes. Um, but other than that, like there's a there's just a ton to like. Yeah, a ton to like, and uh, you know the middle of the field thing. I think is 100 percent valid. You know because I think that's one thing Drake May does really well. Um, but I do think he's accurate and he's not afraid to be aggressive with the football. And again, he's thrown to some really good receivers, but I like the aggressiveness that he showed, right? He's not all the time, but I like the tight window ability. I think there's some value there that, that seems to translate better to the NFL level. And again, it, the draft's a crapshoot, but if I had to pick today, which is what today's February, whatever, it's four, like, February 14th, don't tell Valentine's your wife that Day. you don't know what today is Valentine's day. And, uh, if I had to pick today, I'm picking Jaden Daniels, but I do reserve the right to change my perspective <laughs> on this as we get closer to the draft. For sure. And the last thing I would say about Jaden and the air raid and specifically Cliff, think about what he did in Arizona. It's like, let's get yeah. Hollywood Brown. Let's get DeAndre Hopkins. Like, I want to push the ball outside to my receivers. That is how he ran that offense. It wasn't an and offense that ran a ton over the middle of the field. So when people draw the, the RPO connection and the personal connection to Caleb, the air raid connection to Drake, I'm like, I don't know. You want a guy who pushes it down the field on the outside, outside the hashes? Jaden Daniels, bam, that's your guy. I will say when I was watching the film last night, pulling clips for, for the show, one of the things that came out to me was like, they are, he, or I don't know if this was, if this was a Cliff thing or if this was a Kyler thing. Anytime on the backside of three by one, they're running goes. They're not running backside digs. They're running goes. Goes are comebacks. And and I, they got so many explosive plays because, like, on the backside of three by one, even if it's cover three, they're going to play match or man coverage to that single receiver side. So if you've right. got a guy over there like Terry McLaurin, like Jahan, a guy that you think can win those consistently, they had um, A.J. Green and Hopkins, obviously, just Decent. ripping by people. And they found a ton of explosive plays. And when you watch LSU, there's a lot of similar similarities there in terms of that deep ball accuracy, that touch to layer it in over the defender and give your guy a shot in the right position. So I think that's a great point. In addition to the, the quarterback running stuff, in addition to the RPO stuff, in addition to uh, some of the play action pass stuff, that deep shot aggressiveness is something that I think you see in the air raid all the time. And you see it in Cliff's offenses, especially the last time he was calling plays at the NFL level. So the card has been sent in. Jaden Daniels, that is our pick in Mock Draft 1.0. All right, we'll now watch Drake May goes three, uh, Marvin Harrison fourth. 
Uh, if you Pretty want to pause any so point, far. yeah, Roma Dunce. Uh, I set this That's, on slow so we could kind of go through it. Malik Neighbors. I'll stop it for sure at 10, but if anybody yeah. sooner. Uh, Cooper DeJean, the corner out of Iowa, 7. Nate Wiggins, corner out of Clemson, 8 to Atlanta. Olu Fashanu, 9 to Chicago. And then the Jets take Joe Alt. Um, so that is where we are through 10 picks, Logan. Anything uh, super of note there? Yeah, I don't think Cooper DeJean goes that high. I think Cooper DeJean's an excellent, an excellent football player. I think he's... Like he's so fun to watch. He returns punts. He's got great ball skills. He's got great instincts for coverage. I think the combine's going to be big for him. His film's awesome. Like his film's amazing. But is he a safety? Is he a nickel? Is he kind of that hybrid Buffalo nickel linebacker? Because in college he plays all of them and he's good at all of them. He plays outside corner. But like, what is his role? And again, that lack of elite athleticism is a little bit makes me a little bit nervous. And I think athleticism is a wrong thing to say. Because he is a tremendous athlete, like his coordination's off the charts. But mm. you know, is he does he run a four does he run a four five or does he run a four three? And I think that'll really affect his draft stock. So I don't know if he'll go that high. Also, Joe Alt going after Olufushanu, little surprising. I feel like Joe Alt's a lock. Um, but I think the other picks in that in that range are, are pretty spot on. They they feel like guys that'll go there. Obviously, no. Did Brock Bowers go in the top ten? I forget. Uh, no, we don't have Bowers yet. So that yeah. that's one guy. But that's the thing is like you get a positional run on receivers, uh, Harrison, Adunze, neighbors, then corners, Dijon, Wiggins, and all of a sudden you're looking at a Brock Bowers outside the top ten. Like some one of these guys is going to fall. You can't have twelve top ten players. That's how it works. And I think the other thing about the storyline there is. Only two defensive players in the top 10. I think that's how it's probably going to go. I think the receivers in this class are awesome. So I think you're going to see a lot of them go early, a lot of them and, and often. Like, and I, so I think that feels very realistic because honestly, that's the best, probably the best position group in the draft class this year. Yeah, for sure. And there's going to be more to come. All right, let's continue on hit play, resume draft. Vikings on the clock at 11. They'll take Brock Bowers. There he goes. Uh, 12, Bo Nix, QB4 off the board. Uh, Dallas Turner to the Raiders. Uh, by the way, Nix to the Broncos. Talisi Fuaga to the Saints. Uh, Jazaran Newton, or J- sorry, Jerzon Newton to yep. the Colts. Tarion Arnold to the Seahawks. Uh, Latu Latu, your guy, UCLA to Jacksonville. JC Latham, the tackle uh, out of Alabama to Cincinnati. And then Jared Verse, uh, edge out of Florida State to the Rams. Uh, and then Kenyon Mitchell, the corner out of Toledo to the Steelers. So in those 10 picks, Logan, what stands out to you? Yeah, I mean, I think obviously Bo Nix going 12. I I understand that that's kind of the hot thing right now. Is it A.J. McCarthy going there? Is it Bo Nix? It'll be interesting to see how that actually plays out. Obviously, they're looking for a quarterback. They're looking for a young guy. And people are pretty polarized on Bo Nix. I, I was pleasantly surprised by his film. People are pretty polarized on AJ McCarthy. His film, like obviously the athlete, the physical ability is there. I just the consistency is hard to find because he's only thrown the ball like 150 times in college football, you know, so not a lot of throws right. to kind of get your evaluation. But the athlete, the tools are there. But again, it, it, anytime you've got kind of these really polarizing opinions on a guy, 12 just seems way too high. And I think you were telling me in your first mock draft that you did. Um, AJ McCarthy's there in the second round, right? Yeah, and JJ so, McCarthy going like fifty. JJ, uh, I yeah. think. And in, in when I I did that, the one where Caleb Williams fell to second, so crazy. Yeah. So so that that's kind of the, the story. Anytime a quarterback goes, that's surprising. Obviously, Talisi Fuaga is one of my favorite offensive line in the class. Not surprising. I think Dallas Turner 
is interesting. He's such an interesting prospect because he's immensely physically gifted. He just moves and bends like kind of like very Von Millerish, but like mm-hmm. not always has the best plan. And so like it's totally a projection. So I would probably take Latu or Jared Verse above him. But again, I that is not surprising to me that a team would fall in love with his ability. And obviously the corners, Quinion Mitchell and Arnold, I think are really exceptional fo- football players. Quinion Mitchell was the standout at the Senior Bowl and I think he's going to be an excellent football player. So no, no surprise that you know a guy that was maybe a second-round player now going top 20, strong Senior Bowl with strong college tape at a smaller level, that's what that'll do for you. So, um, Off the top of your head, is there anyone on the board right now where you're like, I would give up capital to go back into the first round and get him uh, knowing that you know kind of what's coming in these next 12 picks? So you know me, Craig, and we've done a lot of shows together, done a lot of draft talk together. I'm not a big fan of giving up capital for a guy, even if I have a really high evaluation of him. So a guy that I really like is Darius Robinson. I love his film. I loved him at the Senior Bowl. Like I've talked about him glowingly at every every facet. But I'm not going to overvalue my evaluation on him, and because I think there's other good football players that, and I want to make sure I can get two good football players instead of one good football player. Right? I agree. That's ultimately yeah. my thought. So uh, we'll see as we go through here. But there's really it, it'd have to be a very specific situation. You know, like obviously for quarterback. Let's say we traded out of that top spot, for example, and there we took a receiver, an offensive lineman, and there was a Bo Nix or a Penix or a um, JJ McCarthy, then you'd probably, I'd consider trading back in. Yeah. That's, that's the thing that I would say, if you have a quarterback that you love, and especially if you trade it out sooner and you pick up a little extra capital, that's buying you, you know, you're playing chess. You're thinking one or two moves ahead here where like you trade back a a crew capital that you might use some of to trade back up later because that fifth year option on a quarterback is so valuable slash do you make sure you get your guy at the end of the first round all right so with that let's let's go 12 picks let's finish out this first round and then we'll get into the second and the commander so the dolphins on the clock at 21 uh they take uh marius mims tackle out of georgia kool-aid mckinstry all name team cornerback alabama to the (laughs) eagles uh jackson powers johnson center out of oregon to the texans troy franklin receiver out of oregon to the Cowboys, your guy Tyler Guyton, tackle mm-hmm. out of Oklahoma to the Packers, Brian Thomas Jr., receiver LSU to the Bucks, Braylon Trice, edge Washington uh, to Arizona, Ennis Rakestraw Jr., uh, who is the cornerback out of Missouri to Buffalo, Kamari Lasseter, corner out of Georgia, well-liked by a lot of folks. Uh, he is going to the Lions, Lad McConkey, wide receiver out of Georgia, uh, to the Ravens, so a couple of Georgia guys, uh, but Jordan Morgan and then Byron Murphy, uh, the defensive uh, lineman out of Texas, they go the last two. So Logan, uh, real quick, let's t- pick pick a guy or two that you want to talk about, and I'm going to reload this draft, uh, and and we'll get to the second round. Yeah, I mean, obviously the tackles going there, I think are it's, this is what it's going to look like, and they're going to be the guys that indicate the draft. And uh, Tyler Guyton, you know, with the Pro Bowl, with the Senior Bowl that he had, is going to go probably first round, right? The thing I love about that draft is that there's some good football players still on the board, like Lad McConkney going to um, uh, to Baltimore. I think is he's an excellent receiver, slot receiver, going to be an excellent pro. But that means that an edge, a tackle, gets pushed to the Commanders. So when you see picks like that. Uh, Morgan going to um, going to San Francisco, I think, is a really interesting pick because he's probably a guard, right? Would he add value to Washington potentially? But I think he's a better fit for that scheme there in San Fran. So again, that pushes players that again I think are better fits here in Washington, just and I think that's pretty uh, 
pretty exciting. So obviously, uh, you know, lots of lots of things there in that last 12 that shaped the, the, the first two picks of the second round for the Washington Commanders. All right, that was Mock Draft 1.0 from me and Logan. Uh, if you want to see what happened next, a.k.a. pick 36, pick 40 in that Mock Draft, you can check it out in the Take Command feed on YouTube at 106.7 The Fan uh, or, of course, Take Command wherever you get your podcast. While you're there, go and subscribe to our show, The Hoffman Show Podcast. You missed anything, like our interview in Hour 1 with Field Yates. It's already up right now. Coming up next here on the Team 980, we will do our first edition of the season of NBA tier rankings. Same four tiers as we use for the NFL, for the NBA. That's next on the Hoffman Show. It's the Hoffman Show on the Team 980, always live as well on the free Odyssey app. Here on this Thursday, a Thursday at 5.30 during NFL season, Anthony, meant we would do our NFL tier rankings. Well, now that we don't have to do that anymore, or we not even we don't have to, we can't do that anymore, I think perhaps we should we should switch it up. I think we should show a little bit of our versatility, if you will. And uh, what do you mean by versatility? Well, we're not just we're not just football guys, Ant. Okay. We've been known to talk a little hoop okay. every now and again. Yeah. Uh, so why don't we do the same exact exercise with the NBA that we used to do with the NFL? Say it ain't so, Craig. I say it is so. Now, one thing we do have to get straightened out, I just realized, is the music situation. Do we have a go-to? I mean, the obvious answer would be round ball rock. But I think we might run into some copyright issues there. That is a heavily protected song. So I'll tell you what, on my uh, to-do list, before we do this again next time, remind me that we need a song for this. Yes, sir. Something that says power rankings. But we don't do power rankings. But the song should say relatively power rankings. The reason we don't do power rankings is because it's too hard to just go one through 30 and be like, these. What, is this team better than this team, this team better than that team? I know a lot of people do it. But I think it's it's a better bet to look at these teams and say who belongs in the same neighborhood, what tier do these teams belong in? So our categories and Anthony, I feel like I'm missing one. Interesting, but not quite good enough. Where prime contenders is like the top of the league. These are your obvious title contenders. The the if they were to wind up in the NBA Finals, done. Got it. Oh, that's right. Uh, our middle tier, that's the one I couldn't think of, or our next highest tier, is what we call puncher's chance. So, not a favorite. If they lose in the first round, second round of the NBA playoffs, not very surprised. But they also, there is a path. And I think there's two very obvious uh, people, there are two teams that wind up there. Then there's interesting, but not quite good enough, which is exactly what it sounds like. Like, these teams aren't the worst in the league, but they're not winning the title. And then there is uh, no chance. Or as Anthony has put it, no chance in heck for these teams. We can go ahead and put Washington Wizards. Sorry. We will get to Denny Obvious Night uh, in you just a little bit. You put the Wizards there before the Pistons? 
I mean, it's the local team. That's what that had to do. Okay, that's fair. They equally, you, you want to feel better? Detroit Thank you. Pistons. Okay, so we can do this one of two ways, Anthony. We can either go through the East and then go through the West, or we can just go through the league standings kind of in the same way we did the NFL. I actually kind of think doing it by conference is going to be more interesting. I agree. All right, let's knock out the East first. Okay. How many prime contenders realistically are in the Eastern Conference? I mean, are we including Joel Embiid? Are we considering him? I would think we have to consider him. Six to eight weeks? Ah, it's a long time. It is, but if he's back for the playoffs, they can beat anybody. Yeah. Big if. And there's part of me that goes, like, if he comes back and he's healthy, like the fact that he's gotten eight weeks. It's not eight weeks off, but, like, I don't know. There's a part of me that's like, I don't know, maybe some time where he hasn't been playing and accumulating hits and knocks and, and the rest of his body is resting is yeah. not the worst thing that's ever happened to him for him finally surviving a playoff run. The obvious, Boston's obvious. Boston Celtics are, are a real legitimate contender. Mm -hmm. Do we think Milwaukee, who's having the weirdest season in recent NBA memory, is a legitimate contender? I mean, I think Doc is going to eventually figure it out. Um... I can't count on Giannis and Dane. Like <laughs> that's where I'm at. I think Milwaukee has to go here. Yeah. Because at the end of the day, they have a walking top five offense that they haven't even fully unlocked yet. Like mm -hmm. I think they could probably run some more pick and rolls and you know, they who knows, you know, buyout market, can they get one more shooter or something? You know. But at the end of the day, Doc's there to fix the defense and we'll see how that goes. It might take a little bit of time, but um, they still do have a formula from a couple years ago they can kind of go back on. Are they missing Drew Holiday? Absolutely. Are they also benefiting from Dane Lillard? Yes. So I, I would say Milwaukee, you just can't bet against them. They have to be in that discussion. And they've proven it, by the way, because they've smashed some teams even if they're having a weird year and nobody seems to have. Like the vibes are off. They don't pass the vibe test, which is important to me. But I do think that's in part because there's been so much in flux and there's a little bit of damage to undo. Then there's Philadelphia. I think for right now, Philadelphia goes in puncher's chance. And I don't know how long it's going to be until they get out of puncher's chance because realistically, until we know that Embiid's good to go, um, they can't be a prime contender. But if mm -hmm. if JoJo is good, I do think it's worth pointing out that, like, you know, they're still in that top six. Maxie's having a career year. Maxie, by the way, not scared of anyone. That dude is such a freaking gamer. And they're playing like decent ball as of late um they are oh i got my camera in the way uh, actually no sorry they they were playing decent ball in the immediate aftermath of jojo's injury now they're three and seven in their last 10 so apologies on that um but they you know tyrese maxi's been great for them they make the move for buddy healed at the deadline like i i think that team is well built it's just a matter of will they be able to put it together this year uh yeah i agree um puncher chance i like the Sixers there. Uh, and, uh, yeah, I, I mean, I think they they, they got to get Joel Embiid back in order to, for them to, you know, really be a prime contender. He was, again, playing MVP-level basketball, averaging career highs across the board. I mean, so you lose a guy like that. you realize just how good – and maybe you knew this stat, Anthony, but maybe maybe a lot of people listening didn't. You know the, the season that will average 50 a game? 
Yeah. So Will Will Chamberlain one time played 48.8 minutes a game, I think it was. So like he played every minute of every game, including some overtime games, basically for an entire season. In that season, he averaged 50 points a game. That will never be matched in, in the history of the league. This season, however, points per minute, Yep. Joel Embiid was ahead of that pace. Mm-hmm. He doesn't play fourth quarters. They're it's destroying crazy. teams. Crazy. So if he can get back, they're going to vault up. And if he's playing at that level, but without, I think it's I think it's too much to ask to put them there right now. There's one other team that I feel like has to get mentioned. Um, but I don't, I think they're going to go in puncher's chance. Oh my gosh, you're about to do that to them? Which team do you think that I, I'm The about Cleveland to say? Cavaliers? Not them. They're definitely in puncher's oh. chance. You're, put, I don't even, you're honestly, definitely like, I don't, putting them in puncher chance? They're definitely not a prime contender. They're, they've never made a conference finals, bro. You're right. You know how the NBA goes. You're right. Um, you you kind of got to go through the phases. Um, but. The New York Knicks. Are the New York Knicks good enough? Like, is Jalen Brunson good enough? Josh Hart. That I mean, they've got championship medal from all those guys playing together in college. Uh-huh. They made a couple of moves at the deadline. Yep. The, the Ananobi trade's been pretty good to them so far. Do they belong on the same level as Boston and Milwaukee? Or are they more Cleveland, Philadelphia, et cetera? I mean, I think they're a puncher's chance, but I don't think we're giving the Cavaliers enough credit. Ooh. That's now all I'm saying. Take, talk, talk to me about Cleveland. I mean, just defensively, they've been – as stout as like anybody, and I think getting Evan Mobley back has been a huge uh, help on the offensive side of the ball as well as defense. But I feel as though last year when they uh, they lost to the Knicks, um, it was more so they couldn't get anything done on the offensive side of the ball. They still did a solid job on the Knicks um, defensively, but like now we're seeing uh, Jared Jared Allen more involved. We're seeing um, Donovan Mitchell offensive game and he talked about you know him possibly being in the MVP race and it's because he's making the people around him better um some of the role players that they got Dean Wade and Sam Miro and things of that nature so I just think the growth from last season to this season has been very uh uh noticeable um when I've you know watched the Cavs and Donovan Mitchell so I think if we're going to put the Knicks in punch chance, I mean, I'm, I'm cool with keeping putting the Cavs there, but they're number two in the East for a reason. They are, in part, because they're 9-1 and one in their last 10. Yeah. And Mitchell, Mitchell's hard, because last year the playoffs were not very good for him. They were not. Back to a couple right. of years ago when he dueled with Jamal Murray in that, that bubble series. Like, mm-hmm. he's got some big playoff games on his resume. I just don't trust him. Okay, that's fair. Um, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stay puncher's chance for now. All right, anybody else puncher's chance in the Eastern Conference, or are we about to get to a whole bunch of interesting but not good enough? I guess the defending champs probably deserve a mention here, and then we can quickly buzz through the rest of the conference. Do the Miami Heat have a shot? With Jimmy Butler? They always got a shot, don't they? They, they, they really do. Like You, <laughs> you, you got to respect the Heat culture. Especially when they were eight, one, or the 8th seed last year. Mm-hmm. All right, Miami goes there. All right, interesting but not good enough. Um, Indiana? Yeah, I think you put the paces there because they can score with the best of, like, anybody, to be honest. But defensively, they are lacking. Oh, my gosh. Yes, they are. Ooh, it is It is not good uh, in the uh, that, that side of the floor for them. Uh, Indiana, 
Orlando, Chicago. I will put I mean, the I don't magic even know how, there. How is Chicago ninth right now? They're so banged up. They're so hurt. I mean, Kobe White have he's having a a, a breakout year. Zach Levine, like I think a lot of people was definitely uh, leaning on him and hoping that he was going to be able to stay healthy and help the Bulls win some games. But in his absence, Kobe White has emerged, and he's part of the reason they are uh, ninth in the East right now. Yeah, he has been fantastic. Um, Atlanta with Trey Young, I'm willing to put in there. Other than that, I kind of feel like everyone else is in no chance. I'll do, I mean, Brooklyn, maybe. If you mm. want to put them in interesting, fine. But I think they just need to figure out what they're doing, to be honest. I think yeah. McGill, the, the Mikel Bridges as the uh, as a number one ex, uh, experiment is coming to an end. Very uh, clearly not. That. I'm going to put them in interesting right now because yeah. to put them in the same categories like the Wizards feels rude. Um, okay. But that's that's the last team. Toronto, Charlotte, Washington, Detroit. No chance. Yeah, no chance. All right, Western Conference next. Definitely some interesting things to talk about there because the entire Western Conference is on fire. How many prime contenders are actually over on that side of the NBA standings? We will discuss next on the Hoffman Show. First, a look at what's trending. It's the Hoffman Show on the Team 980, always live as well on the free Odyssey app and streaming live on YouTube at the Team 980. All right, Eastern Conference NBA tier rankings in the books. We'll review uh, as we go through here. Uh, prime contenders, uh, well, quickly, Boston Celtics, Milwaukee Bucks, Sixers, Cavs, Knicks, Heat as puncher's chance, Pacers, Magic, Hawks, Nets, interesting but not quite good enough, Wizards, Pistons, Raptors, Hornets, and no chance. All right, and here's how I want to do the Western Conference especially because um, I think the the standings are so fascinating uh, to see some of these young teams up at the top. Let's just go down the standings. So starting at the top, the Minnesota Timberwolves are currently the one seed in the Western Conference. Yes, that is true. The Minnesota Timberwolves, if you're just now getting out of NFL season and are getting into the NBA, the Minnesota Timberwolves are the number one team in the Western Conference. Where do you think they belong on our tier rankings? Uh, mm. I think you got to put them in puncher's chance. I, I, I wouldn't label them uh, a prime contender just yet. I don't think they have enough experience on the roster. I think Anthony Edwards is still having this coming out party. And a lot of people like to equate him to like an 84 Jordan where like he's still, you know, finding himself like he's going out there, putting up crazy numbers, um, making it to the playoffs, just not really making it, you know, to the, the conference finals and things of that nature. So I think they'll have a chance, but I, I wouldn't label them a prime contender just yet. I would not either. And to me, it's pretty simple. Why? One, very limited playoff experience. Mm -hmm. Two. Got some of their key guys have a history of disappearing or being less effective in the playoffs. Rudy Gobert gets run off the floor in the playoffs every single year. He might win his sixth defensive player of the year trophy this year. And they just, they, the voters love him because he's great in the regular season. But when you get into playoff basketball and you can isolate him and switch him and pick and rolls and do some of the things that teams do to him, that becomes less effective. And maybe this is the year it breaks through. Maybe this is the year that it's different. He and Carl Anthony Towns are obviously playing a lot better together, and Ant has gone to a whole new level. But I cannot trust them. They're a puncher's chance to me. 
Oklahoma City Thunder are the two seed. Shea Gilgis Alexander, very legitimate MVP candidate. Very good chance he could win that, especially as some of the other top candidates might struggle to meet. Like Joel Embiid's not going to meet the games uh, require games played requirement, for instance. So uh, depending on who is the the survivor at the end of the year, a guy like Shea might wind up being the best candidate and a worthy one uh, who is eligible. But to me, they kind of go in the same boat as Minnesota where I love them, they're great, but they're so young and so inexperienced in the playoffs that it just feels like it's too soon for them. Then again, you know, is this 2012 Oklahoma City all over again where they wind up uh, with Durant and and Westbrook and Harden in the playoffs or in the finals? Maybe, but I, I think it's it's at least a year too early for them. Yeah, I think they're just missing one more piece, to be honest. I think you got Shea, and he can handle the, the workload, but when it gets to the playoffs, you, you're going to need some help. Chad is there, but I still think they need another guy to, you know, go along with Shea. He's he's basically a rookie. Like give Chet another year. Yeah. Give Shea another year. Give the Jalen William the Jalen's Williams another he's year. Been killing too. Yeah. Uh yeah. They they've two. One of them is a stud. Mm-hmm. Um, and that could be and also, you know, they've got all this capital. Do they make a move? Do they go this offseason and they like, all right, let's unload some draft picks and, and bring in a vet? Um oh. And that, that could definitely be possible. All right. Third, currently in the Western Conference, the Los Angeles Clippers, to me, are a prime contender. Prime contender, baby. They have championship experience in Kawhi. It's a matter of whether or not he stays healthy. Because Paul George has, has had a mixed bag in the playoffs. James Harden, we know, has had a bad playoff history. But he's never been this far down the roster uh, in terms of importance. He can be overcome. And Russ embracing this role off the bench, I think, is tremendous because we sh- we saw what kind of playoff performer he was last year. Um, they've got good depth. They've got guys like Terrence Mann, Zubach, etc. It's just a well-put-together team that's playing at a super high level since they've kind of figured it out with Harden. And I think as long as they're healthy, like they're, I actually think they're the most dangerous team in the West. I know it's, Now I say that, and I'm like, ah, still the Nuggets are the Nuggets, but... I think when healthy, they're the most dangerous team in the West. Yeah, I would agree. Prime contender, those guys. They say give them 10 games. It took them like 11 or 12, but they figured it out, and they are scary. Denver Nuggets, prime contenders, done and done? Yes. Don't need to say anything else. They're defending champs. All right, this is where it gets fun. Woo. Uh, the Phoenix Suns, Anthony. Uh, I'm going to go prime contender, they need Bradley Bill to stay healthy. I think when he's out there, they are a force to be reckoned with, especially on the offensive side of the ball. Um, but if he's not there, I, I'm just going to say they're limited. I don't trust them. I think they are a puncher's chance team mm. because their chance comes from being healthy. Yeah. If they are healthy, because it's not just Brad. Book has had injury Book, issues yep. and Durant's injury history is extensive, especially at the end of the year. Mm-hmm. The chances that all three of them dudes are going to be healthy and clicking just feels like it's a Hail Mary, more so than the Clippers. And they have less they have less room underneath them. Like the Clippers, as long as it's not Kawhi, they could lose Harden, lose Russ, or lose PG and still be nasty. They could still win a series, maybe against everyone but the Nuggets. But if one of those two dudes goes down for Phoenix. They're, I mean, they could they could win a first-round series. I don't think they can make the conference finals. Yeah, I would agree. So I'm putting them in puncher's chance. Uh, the New Orleans Pelicans. 
Ah, uh, interesting. You don't even think they're puncher's chance. I would, I, I would think they're puncher's chance, but I just it's Zion to be honest. Like he, he, he's the the X factor to be honest. And I don't really trust Zion to be honest. If he goes out there and proves me wrong, stays healthy, continues to be the force that he's been, obviously yes, I'm gonna go with the the Pelicans. They were number one last year before he went down, and they played well again this year. It's just I don't trust Zion though. All right, I'll move them down. I had them in puncher's chance, but I'm okay moving them down. Uh, I don't feel too strongly about it. All right, then we have the Dallas Mavericks. I'm putting them in puncher's chance. I do, too. If you have a top-five player, you have a shot. Uh, and you have a playoff performer in Kyrie Irving, uh, who is Kyrie Irving in the playoffs. Now, yeah. they've got some stuff to figure out. they gotta, they got to get this new cohesion going with P.J. Washington in town, et cetera. But they got a shot. Sacramento Kings are the eighth seed. They're interesting, but not good enough to me. Yeah. They were the playoff darlings last year, and they haven't been as good this year. Yep. All right. Then you get to the two that I think are the most interesting teams, and not just because they get talked about on ESPN nonstop, but they are legitimately, like there's a reason beyond the star power. The Lakers and the Warriors. Always got a punch chance, both of them. That's, you and I are on the exact same page. I think by definition, those two teams, who by the way are both 7-3 <laughs> and three in their last 10 games, they have Steph and LeBron. When you get in the playoffs and you have Steph and LeBron, the Lakers just won the in-season tournament. And I know it's different, but like it shows that when it's time, he can still get there. AD, he can still get there. Uh, the Warriors are all of a sudden playing better. Draymond looks like a new person. Mm -hmm. um, the Kaminga-Wiggins uh, lineup doesn't look Man. like a disaster like it did the first 40 games of the season. Kaminga's coming on strong. Yep. I think they got a puncher's chance. And then the Jazz and the Rockets, I would say both – Interesting, but not good enough? Yeah, both of those. And then Grizzlies, Blazers, Spurs. I mean, the Spurs are always interesting because of Wemby. Did you see the sequence he had the other night, by the way? I mean, I know this is every night with him. Which one? He had, yeah, I know, right? Uh, he had a uh, chase down block. Uh, or I think he had like an assist chase down block. Then gets an offensive rebound. Kicks it out to. Kicks it out. Or no, he doesn't kick it out. Gets an offensive rebound off of a shot that he created. So he kicks it out. Dude misses it. He grabs the offensive rebound, winds up at the three-point line, in between the legs, step back three. Yeah, I did see that. Yes. Like, what the hell is that? It's crazy. It's crazy. So they're always interesting. They're definitely not good enough, but by the rules of the game, they're going to go uh, down into no chance. So that means uh, Grizzlies, Blazers, Spurs, and no chance. And so it's a lot of puncher's chance teams. Only four prime contenders. That's actually that's different than I thought it would be. Yeah, I think there's a lot more just parity in the, the NBA. Mainly on the Western Conference, to be honest. Because it's yeah. just too many teams over there. And that's the thing. is like you, you look at a team even like Sacramento. If they're in the East, are they up in puncher's chance? Probably. Yeah. But it's like, can they beat two of these other teams in puncher's chance and one prime contender? No. In a series also. Right, especially in a series setting. So, no, so thus down they go. All right, those are our NBA tier rankings. We'll revisit them throughout the rest of the spring. Of course, uh, well, we're not going to do it next week because, one, I won't be here, and, two, uh, there's no games to be played uh, because the All-Star break, but we will pick it back up when I return and the NBA returns in a couple of weeks. When we get back here on the Hoffman Show, back to football, back to Ashburn. J.P. Finley joins us with his impressions of Cliff Kingsbury and Joe Witt Jr. here on the Hoffman Show. 
It's the Hoffman Show on the Team 980, always live as well on the free Odyssey app and, of course, streaming live on YouTube at the Team 980. Joining us now from Ashburn, it's J.P. Finley, NBC4 Sports, and, of course, host of B. Mitch and Finley over on 106.7. The fan, J.P., what up? Uh, you'll love this. I'm actually in 7-Eleven. The line's kind of long. I'm trying to get out of here. I'm just trying to get some water. I have a cough that I can't kick. Um, if uh, I'm, I'm at the Ashburn 7-Eleven right off uh, Waxpool Road. Basically your home. Yeah, yeah. Well, this is like a home away from home. I'm on the wrong side of the river. Give me two minutes, and I will be back. Okay. All right, we can do that. Uh, so JP's going to try to get checked out. We we thought we were good. Uh, we gave him a little bit of time there to get checked out and, and, and not. So if you're wondering uh, what JP is still doing in Ashburn, as you know, he's a, obviously a Maryland guy, um, then it's because they, there was a press conference today. Uh, Cliff Kingsbury was introduced as head coach. or Sorry, not as head coach. That would have been really weird. Surprise! No, introduced as offensive coordinator. Joe Witt Jr. Uh, introduced as defensive coordinator. The commanders, by the way, also announced their staff this morning. A um, couple of interesting names. Uh, one of the, like, I don't know how consequential this one is. Um, this is a much more inside the building thing, but I thought it was interesting to see uh, a quote come up. But Sarah Hogan is going to be the chief of staff, and she was in Atlanta. Dan Quinn poached her. And she was someone that Raheem Morris was asked about a couple of weeks ago and gave glowing reviews and was very excited to work with. And Dan Quinn was like, nah, she's, she's coming with us up here. So um, a chief of staff can do a lot of different things, but kind of the organizational side of it. But I thought that was an interesting one. Uh, more on the football side of it versus the administration. Uh, David Blau, one of the interesting names that comes out today. He was most recently a backup quarterback in the league. Uh, you might remember him from multiple editions of Hard Knocks. He was on with the Lions. He was on with the Arizona Cardinals with Cliff a couple years ago. Cliff actually joked today that that he had been – or when they brought him in mid-season in Arizona in 2021, uh, he Cliff said that Blau knew the offense better than him within two weeks. That's how smart the guy is. So great other voice to have in the room. Uh, someone who's been, you know, had to learn offenses. I always think that's a skill, and the, you know, the ability to pass on that knowledge is is really nice uh, to have in a room. So uh, someone who played in the league and, and someone who played in the league recently. Um. That is that is a great skill set to have. Um, and then, obviously, great, great experience on the defensive side all the way down. All right, JP, have we cleared the line at 7-Eleven? Are we good to go? Dude, I, I am truly, really sorry about that. In my defense, I told Ant that I needed a second, and he put me on hold. I didn't know that meant I was, like, potted up on hold. Luckily, I had a headphone in when you counted me in. It was, uh, it was an experience. Sorry about that. No, all good. Um, I think you did a very good job. Also, that might have been my fault because Anthony told me, like, you needed two minutes. I just thought it had been two minutes, and I'm notoriously terrible at math. So, honestly, that might be on me. And I'm, I'm, you know what? I'm just going to own it. My name's on the show. That's on me. How about this? I got nothing but time now. I'll stay on through a commercial break if you need me. No problem. All right. Well, I tell you what, we'll just do like the old 15 minute double break bit probably because there's plenty to talk about. So I think, I think that'll be the plan. You got nothing but time. We got nothing but questions. Let's start off with, with this. I think a lot of people 
went into today most excited to hear from Cliff because with DQ's defensive experience, like people are kind of more interested in that other side of the ball, that OC hire, the number two pick, yada, yada. And then Joe Witt Jr. seemed to steal the show. What was it like in the room as those two men spoke today, the energy, any memorable quotes? Like as you walk out of the room and go back to the media annex afterwards, what's, what's immediately sticking in your head is like the most important thing that happened today. I, I think you nailed it on kind of the, the tone of the day. Everybody was ready to be wowed by Kingsbury talking quarterbacks and offensive systems and what is this thing going to look like. And I don't fault him for it at all. Um, you know, Cliff's been a head coach in the league for a number for four seasons. He's done these things so many times that I can't imagine he was too excited to talk to us today. Like, it was more of like a – a perfunctory measure than it was something that he was looking forward to. Um, Whereas for Joe Witt, you know, he kind of came right out of the gate and was saying that he feels he had been ready for this for a long time. Um, And the thing that stood out to me with Joe Witt was obviously kind of his passion, his energy level. And that I I feel like is similar to what stood out to me listening to Dan Quinn talk. And, And you could see how those two, really seem to like mesh well and, and, and have a, a shared vision. But honestly, Craig, the, the thing that stood out to me most with Wit was a, kind of a, a story he told where he, he explained that he's, dis, he's dyslexic. And because of that, he realizes that like he learns differently and that in turn, he has to maybe coach different players differently and he has to meet them where they are was what he said. And I just found that really refreshing from a previous regime that was pretty straightforward, like this is how we do it, figure out how we do it. And um, I don't know, I I appreciated, I I suppose that's not vulnerability, it's just telling, opening up perhaps. And and I thought it was uh, a really telling moment of how somebody can connect with players and, and find them in their own space to make them better and to make the unit more cohesive. No, I 100% agree that that was the most important thing that was said today at that press conference because there's an understanding, and it was kind of followed up with that quote. I'm, I'm going to paraphrase here. But basically, like, if a player's not learning, that's not the player's fault. That's on us as coaches. And the idea yeah. that you can't just be like, this is the information, you're a pro, if you're not on board, we'll replace you, because that's how you waste talent in this league. And the fact that he did mention he liked – a guy like Forbes, and obviously he liked Quan as well coming out of the draft, that gives me a lot of hope for those guys it, that we're – I'll tell you this, at the very least we're going to know whether or not they were they were good football players at the NFL level because these guys are going to give them a chance where last year I think we're all just kind of like, I don't know, they look like busts at least for part of the year in, in Quan's case, but these guys are not very good coaching, so maybe, maybe it's all on that side of it. Yeah, I, I, I totally agree with you. And, and think about – what we all perceive to be really talented players on that defensive front that at times have shown that, and at other times it seemed fairly pedestrian. Like, how much of that has been previous scheme or a lack of talent development? And how much of it, it could still be the players. Maybe we'll find out. I think one important part of this exercise is also to remind ourselves, like, four years ago, plenty of people were excited about Jack Del Rio. And last year, plenty of people were excited about Eric Bieniemy. So, you know, today is an introduction to a coach and and perhaps some 
principles and some insight, but I, I thought Joe Witt, the person, was really interesting. Um, he, he, he told the story about, you know, a lot of coaches like to stick around really late, but I, I don't do that. Like, to me, if you're sticking around late, it means you cheated yourself during the day. And I, I'd rather just go all out all day, and then when it's time to leave, it's time to leave. And I, I can appreciate that because I do think on some level, like, some politics get involved, like, oh, the head coach's light's still on, so I got to just stay here until he goes home. And, like, yes. I think we saw so much perception mattering in the last regime that didn't matter that, I, that I'd like to see less of it. And, and honestly, I mean, even Cliff, I would say, neither of these guys seem to care about perception today. No, I, I agree with that. And I will say, because I'm a gigantic nerd who's reading a book on sleep right now and the effect that it has on the brain. Like, this, the grind culture of the NFL that's like, be in at 4 a.m., stay till 11 p.m., and sleep on your couch is a terrible way to exist as a human, especially in a job that involves a lot of problem-solving and creativity. Your brain literally becomes incapable of doing it if you deprive yourself of, yourself of sleep that much. So, like, that was another very refreshing thing to be like, no, we're not going to play these games. Like, I'm going to go see my family, and then I'm going to go to sleep, and then I'll show up for work and work really hard the next day. Um, um, again, am I a gigantic nerd who's read a book on sleep? Sure. Is that also how every human being's brain works? Yes. So that seems like an important thing. Uh, JP Finley's with us here on the Hoffman Show. Um, one thing that I thought was interesting, both on Cliff's side and on Joe Witt Jr.'s side, let's talk about it from Witt's side first, and then we'll circle around and talk about the offense, is they both seem committed to almost nothing schematically. Um, when, when they, you know, with, as DQ did was like, you know, four, three, three, four doesn't matter to me. Like, is this team on the verge of switching fronts all of a sudden? And what would that mean for what they have? Or do you think this is just a bunch of lip service because they don't really know what they're going to do yet? And they're trying to keep the, the options as open as possible. Um, I didn't hear that as switching the base defense. I'm for me, and I've kind of been shouting this for a while, like, Teams play so little base defense anyway that it's become more of like a, a talking point for fans and stuff than it is a reality. Sure. I think his point was more like, man, everybody plays cover two or cover three or quarters or whatever it is. Like, There's always going to be variations, but it's not like we're going to reinvent the wheel with some sort of defensive alignment that will change everything, which was kind of my understanding of it. Um, what I found really interesting – was and he said this early, was that, you know, he just led a staff meeting letting everybody know we're going to do things differently, kind of we expect violence and we expect super physicality. And I, I, that almost sounds like he's letting players know to expect that. And, I, you know, that I find really interesting because I didn't think they were all that physical at the point of attack defensively. And I think, I mean – Curl was probably the best tackler, and then I think Kendall Fuller was decent in run support, but BSJ and certainly Forbes, that wasn't a real strength. Like, this dude knows his DBs, and it's going to be all over his DBs. And I think there's some level of, like, an immediate challenge to these guys. Like, um, this is going to have to look a lot different if you're going to be on the field for me. J.B. Finley, of course. B. Mitch and Finley on 106.7 The Fan. 
is with us. Um, is there anything else from Witt's presser schematically, attitudinally, coaching-wise, or anybody else on staff on that side of the ball before we flip it over to Cliff in the offense that you think is worth noting as we finally got the full staff announcement earlier today and then heard from Joe Witt Jr. from the first time? Um, I mean, I'm excited to see Ken Norton. Um, I also think, just anecdotally, Joe Witt saying his favorite player ever is Sean Taylor. And then I was told later that he has a framed Sean Taylor jersey at his house. Like, I just think that's kind of a, a cool, random, serendipitous, full-circle moment. I think there's a lot of people about Joe Witt's age, that especially if you played secondary, that, sh- that Sean's your favorite player. But I, I just thought that was kind of neat. Um, but beyond that, happy to go to Cliff. And, and maybe more so what we, like, didn't learn than did. Yeah, so Cliff – Seems like he's just kind of getting a bunch of smart dudes in the building and then they're going to figure it out, which I don't know how he sold that in the interview process. Hey, what's your plan? I don't know. We'll just hire some guys and then we'll then we'll come up with one. Okay, cool. But that's kind of the impression I got out of it, which is both exciting because they can play to their personnel, but also terrifying because I would like a little bit of structure, I would think, to be in place when I hire an offensive coordinator. What did, what did you make of the things that, again, to, I think you phrased that well, the things that we learned and the things that we didn't? I highly doubt he told us the same stuff he told Dan Quinn. That is probably think, also a good point. I think... Because I can understand why he would be. But I thought he was fairly disinterested today, especially in divulging any sort of information. Or I don't think he wanted to talk Arizona. I don't think he wanted to talk Kyler. I don't think he wanted to talk how he landed here instead of the Raiders. Like any of it seemed to me that he wanted to avoid anything that would create a headline on ProFootballTalk.com. And I. I can kind of understand that for him. Um, Perhaps I'd say the thing that I have thought this throughout the process, and I continue to think it today after that presser, um, I, I think it's overly simplistic to say, well, Cliff coached Caleb at USC. Of course they're going to make a big play to go get him. I, I don't – I think that what – like. That is just far too linear of an approach. And, and the fact that he mentioned a guy like Lamar today in, in what you want in a quarterback, to me, opens that up a lot broader. Um, and, and I just – I'm kind of pushed back against that. Now, if, if Caleb gets the number two, I think it changes. But, like, I just – I don't think, oh, they hired Kingsbury. They're going to trade up to number one to get Caleb. And, and I, I feel better in that today. I – I've been with you on that for a while now, although it was uh, wacky. I don't know if you saw that Logan and I did our first uh, take command uh, mock draft the other day and we used PFF's mock draft simulator. And like, I wound up having to hit the start button like five times. And I think three of the five were Drake may is number one. And I was like, well, if that happens, that'd be cool. But uh, I mean, seems unlikely. We don't know what's going to happen. Yeah. I mean, we'll, We'll find out a lot more over the next couple of weeks when we head to Indy, but I, I definitely feel like if Chicago plays their cards right, either they or someone else is taking Caleb at one. What did you make of Cliff saying that uh, he would not call what the offense is going to be, whatever it is going to be, air raid anymore? I think that's actually accurate, and 
anybody's going to understand what that air raid truly was, or, or perhaps still is, would be Kingsbury, who played at it and then coached it. Um, I mean, that real air raid stuff that Mike Leach was running, when you had all those dudes at Texas Tech throwing for like 6,000 yards and then being fifth-round picks, I mean, go back and look at some of those names. We did this on the podcast the other day. Obviously, everybody remembers that catch Michael Crabtree made against Texas, right? Yep. In that just inbound. Do you remember who the quarterback on that team was? Was that was that a that wasn't Cliff, was it? That was after Cliff, right? Correct. That was a dude you've never heard of that didn't make a lick of was, difference. Was, in it, the was NFL. that Graham Harrell? That was Harrell. Yes, sir. Hell yeah! Don't tell me I don't know my old two thousand whatever year that was Texas Tech quarterbacks. But that that air raid system at that point in time was just beating defenses, and I what I don't I legitimately never thought Cliff was trying to do that now, and I think especially when you bring in Anthony Lynn, one I think legitimate criticism. Um, I think I heard you and Logan talk about at one point, but we've heard in this cycle with Kingsbury is like, what does the run game look like? Does it match with the pass game? Does it create play action? And, and I don't know that you go back to Arizona, you could say a lot of that does. And I think bringing Lynn in will ideally help in that capacity. And I think the other part is, the true air raid stuff, if you go back and watch Graham Harrell and all those types of dudes, none of them were mobile. It wasn't really until Mahomes did they have somebody that could run. And it was like a pocket three-step, five-step fire kind of, re- you know what I mean? Like, the fact that Kingsbury's talking about mobility and guys that can make plays with their feet is also a bit of a departure from the true air raid system. No, I that is definitely true. But there's also I was talking about this earlier in the show the the spacing, like the space reading element of it, where you're not necessarily as concerned with like what coverage are they in, but it's like where is the space? That's actually very beneficial in the modern NFL because we have all these zone match like amoeba ish defenses that it's impossible unless you know the call to know what the original thing was. Like we watch film all the time and we're just like, what coverage is that? I don't know. There's just dudes everywhere. And if right. that's if that's the case, then some of that stuff making it into the new offense is very helpful. But I think, as you said, marrying it with Anthony Lynn, Bobby Johnson, et cetera, um, and what they bring is uh, is very helpful. Uh, your co-host on Beltway Football Pod, Mitch Tischler, asked about Bobby Johnson, uh, who is, I think, everyone's biggest concern considering the last couple of years in New York. What did you make of Cliff's answer about the commander's new O-line coach? I kind of what I expected there, and I think – I, I don't know enough. Um, I, I, I just don't know enough about that situation. I kind of need to dig into it for my own understanding. But the, the Giants had a ton of injuries along the offensive line. I don't know that they developed and, and had good backups and all that, but I do think some of this year's trouble was, I mean, just how beat up they were. I mean, if you look at the combinations and the amount of players, or think about just Justin Pugh, who I know we both talked to at the Super Bowl. And the fact that he was signed to the practice squad on a Thursday, and what would that be, nine days later, was playing left tackle in a nationally televised night game? Like, they clearly had some trouble up there. Um, I, I don't know. It, it, it's not – of all the hires, it's the one that probably makes the least amount of sense. 
but they they also obviously have their process that they stuck with that they feel quite good about. Yeah, no, I think that's fair. And and you talked about the mobility stuff that Cliff mentioned, and obviously uh, Johnson, the experience the last couple of years with Daniel Jones and getting him going. So that that seems like I the connective he, tissue to me. Did he mention Josh Allen prior to that, or did I? Yeah, read he that did. Somewhere? He did. Yeah, okay. So um, that that connective tissue of the mobile quarterback, I think, is is definitely a huge reason why Bobby Johnson gets the nod. We'll see how it all comes together. Uh, JP Finley talking about it on your televisions on NBC Four, uh, in your ears on 106.7 The Fan and the Beltway Football Pod. Uh, JP, uh, safe travels back to uh, your side of the river, and uh, we'll talk to you soon. Uh, thanks for your time, man. Appreciate it. Thanks, buddy. Take care. All right, J.B. Finley with us here on the Hoffman Show. B. Mitch and Finley, 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. daily on 106.7 The Fan, which you can also listen to, like you can listen to us, and some of you are right now, on the free Odyssey app. When we get back, um, yesterday I said that we need to chill out on some of the Denny Obvia talk. And then Denny Obvia went out and scored 43 points last night. Let's discuss next. It's the Hoffman Show. We are live on the Team 980, always live as well on the free Odyssey app. Real things, real people said into real microphones coming up in just a few minutes. Uh, close it out. Uh, the mic'd up from the Super Bowl is out. Uh, then you got some some funny Tom Brady stories, all kinds of good stuff uh, coming up at 645. Right now, as we also, of course, are streaming live on YouTube at the Team 980, let's talk a little hoops, shall we, Anthony? Um, I, I will admit I was not watching initially live last night as Denny Avia lost his mind in New Orleans, but after our discussion on the show with Linnell yesterday, all of a sudden I got a text from Linnell going, Denny! And then I was like, well, I better see what's going on. And all of a sudden, Denny Avia, who, if you were not listening at 5.30 yesterday or have not checked out our Wizards Talk uh, segment on the podcast or on YouTube, I said, look, he's playing a lot better. And that's very exciting and very, very encouraging. However, realistically, Denny Avia is not a top three player on a championship team. He's just, he's just not that guy. He's playing better. It's exciting. He's also averaging 13 points per game this season. Like, let's cool our, our, our Jets a little bit. On a championship team, he's somewhere between the fourth and seventh starter. Um, optimally, that, like, sixth man coming off the bench, maybe playing top five minutes on the team. Uh, but he's his role is, like, defensive wing, can score for you in a pinch, but not a guy you're relying on in any kind of way for consistent point production. Good day for me to say that when he then goes out and drops career high 43 points, Anthony, last night. Made me look like a real doofus. Or, yeah. or, or did he? Uh, I mean, first of all, Linnell didn't only text you. He texted me as well. Uh, <laughs> and, and I was so confused, like, what he was even talking about. Um, but, yeah, Denny going out there, uh, to be honest, I just think it was a good day for the Washington Wizards as a whole. Um, definitely a career night, and I don't want to take that away from Denny. But I, I think, you know, as you pointed out, that he's just, you know, playing well this season. Like, I, I think for the future, as we look towards the future anyway, we can, you know, confidently say we can see Denny playing a pivotal role as a role player in the, you know, foreseeable, foreseeable future. Is what The I thing is, say. Denny Avi was a ninth pick in the draft. Yeah. He wasn't a top five pick. And 
if you get a third and here I I will make a I will I will mea culpa. Anthony, I might I'm actually willing to adjust my opinion. Okay. After seeing Danny Avia last night, yep. I think in the absolute right scenario, he could potentially be the third best player on a championship team. Like, if he's got the best player in the league as his, as his number one guy, and a top ten guy as number two, and by the way, the fourth, fifth, sixth, and seventh best players are not that much different than he is, but he's definitively the third, where he's averaging 18 points and eight boards a night. Like, okay, fine. I can, at 23 years old, I'm willing to say that is that is beneath his ceiling, or that is his ceiling, right? I'm not willing to go any higher, but that is his ceiling. Okay, fine. Maybe maybe we see that now. But that's really not that different than what I said yesterday. Being one of those top two guys is a very different story. And I think I think where I get sideways is there's a lot of Wizards fans that are like, we can't put a ceiling on these guys. We have to give them more shots, more opportunities, more, 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 more. And to use the analogy that I used yesterday with Linnell, like you can't bake a cake at 10 minutes at 800 degrees and expect to get the same recipe or the same results when the recipe calls for 400 at 20 minutes. You don't get to just give them more and get better results and, and think that's going to work. And, and, you know, that, like, yes, you do want to give some of these younger guys more opportunities. And part of the reason Denny gets this opportunity last night is Kuz is out. And it's like, okay, well, yeah, he got more opportunities and he, he made the most of it. But, like, let's also be realistic about what Denny Avia did last night. He took 10 threes. And a lot of those were, like, or not a lot, but there was, like, a few of those that are, like, step back, late clock threes. And he made them. Like, I'm not trying to take away from Denny Avia. He, that's phenomenal. The fact that he even has that in his game as a possibility is thrilling. That's super exciting. But we don't want Denny Avia taking step-back threes because I don't want almost anyone taking step-back threes. I want Dame taking step-back threes. I want Harden taking step-back threes. I want uh, Steph taking step-back threes. And I don't know if there's anybody else. Trey Young can take them. I don't know if there's anybody else in the league I want taking those on a regular basis. Now, if you get in a late clock situation and the ball's in your hands, great. But how many times has Denny had the ball late clock this year and fallen down? And I'm not saying that again to be like mean or be like, Mrr. but he's having a great couple of weeks. And by the way, these great couple of weeks are coinciding with Brian Keith taking over. This clearly was a great move by this front office. We're already seeing dividends of the results of these young guys getting different and better opportunities and taking advantage of it. But I just want people to like, I, I will, I will say a lot of Wizards fans when I tweeted that like, some of y'all need to chill out had great responses. We were all having good fun. It's like, it's a crap season. Let us have our fun. And I'm not trying to rain on your parade. The only people I'm trying to simmer down is the people that are like, well, when John Wall was 23, he had a breakout game like this, and then he was John Wall. Denny Avia ain't going to beat John Wall. If that's you, then yeah, you don't get to have any fun anymore, and you don't get to talk about basketball anymore. You need to go sit in the corner and think about what you said. But... If you're just having fun with it in the middle of an otherwise crap season, have all the fun you want. It is what it is. And if, if that involves making fun of me for being a wet blanket, I'm willing to take that because I'm right here with you in the middle of this crap loss season. Denny Avdia goes out and, bees John, and he's John Wall. Because he had one 40-point game. And look. In the season where more points are being scored than any in NBA history. There's hope for the season. I mean, there's hope for this team then. Yeah. 
Well, because that's that's the comes the discussion, right? Like the more serious turn on this is people think Bilal is definitely one of the building blocks, and I think they are correct. Mm-hmm. I think Koulibaly has been a revelation. Exactly where he is on that one through three pecking order, still TBD. I think most likely three, possibly two. I have a hard time seeing one, but he's 19. Who the hell knows? I he is someone that if you're like, don't put a ceiling on him. I'm a, I go okay, because for all I know, he could grow another three inches. Like that's the nature of him being 19 years old, right? So you have you have that part of it, right? Then the question is, do you have any of your other building blocks, or are the guys that are here now mostly trade assets to acquire those building blocks or supplementary pieces? And that's where I think people are getting out over their skis. They see two good weeks from Denny Avia and go, oh, he can score 25 a night over this stretch. Like maybe he's a 20 point guy. He's one of the building blocks. And I would tell you, he's doing it on a nine win team at the all star break. If there are better players, he's not getting these opportunities and he's not going to, to put up these numbers. This is why I think the best version of Denny Avia from a team standpoint, like individual statistics, sure. Could he could he average 20 in a season? Maybe. Team's not going to be very good, but maybe. But on the on the team side of it, I think Denny Avia playing 30 minutes a night, averaging 16 points, 18 points, you know, seven, eight, nine rebounds, five assists, like that's a tremendously useful basketball player. That's not me saying like Denny Obvious stinks. To be very clear, I understand how rare and good and helpful that basketball player is in the NBA. I think that's the best version of Denny. I don't want to say those guys are a dime a dozen because they're not. It's rarer than that. But I don't know that that is like a tent pole building block player. I think it's just below that. And so I, I guess. I'm trying to help protect you from becoming too emotionally attached to Denny Avia when I know he's 23 and it seems like, oh, well, the timeline thing. How can you talk about that? He's 23, still so young. But realistically, now he's ready to be that guy and be very helpful for a team, I think, in the next like three to five years. And I don't know or for the next three to five years in his prime. And I don't know that the Wizards are like the the Wizards will be ready in three years, not ready for the next three years, if that makes sense, which means they can probably get something good for him. And that's exciting. We like that. You know what else we like, Anthony? What? Jordan Poole took 10 threes last night. And he made made five of them. Yeah. I think the person that I've been like most impressed with uh, the last couple of weeks, Tyus Jones, man. The dude just simply... Dishes out assists, doesn't turn the rock over. And uh, I'm interested to see, you know, what his future looks like here because, again, they can uh, re-sign him in the offseason. And I think he will be a good person, you know, to keep um, in the the organization just because of how productive he is um, when he has the ball in his hand. So, uh, Ty Jones, yeah, he, he, he's been cooking another night, 14 points, 15 assists coming off a night where he previously had 14 points and 16 assists. So, I don't know. I, I, I'm loving what I'm seeing out of Tyus. I'm just saying, Tyus, since he's been on the show, <laughs> reverse effect of some other guys that have been on the show. Yeah. So I, we, we should do that math. We should see when we had Tyus on and see what his numbers are. Might have to shoot the Wizards he's a note. Be like, if Tyus, if Tyus ever starts slumping, you know where to send him. Mm-hmm. Do an old interview with the Hoffman show. 
Bang, bang, bang. I, I didn't get a chance to say this with Linnell yesterday, um, but when it comes to Tyus, his value around a young team is so high. And I know, like, other mm-hmm. teams, like, eventually, do you want to probably flip him? Yeah, I probably would. But to have, like, an adult in the room and on the floor to keep things organized and to make sure that everyone's practicing good habits because they're not taking wild shots and they don't have to take on too much responsibility, that's super helpful in the development of young players. And we've seen it. You know, Chris Paul was essential to Shea Gilgis-Alexander's rise in Oklahoma City. We've seen it before. And Tyus Jones is obviously not what Chris Paul was when when CP3 was in OKC. CP3 was still an all-star. Tyus is not that. But that role is so important, and, and Dawkins and Winger have seen that up close, which is why I'm actually not that surprised that they kept him, even though the contract is expiring and that they're interested in keeping him. It's the Hoffman Show. We're on the Team 980. We're always live as well on the free Odyssey app. And when we get back, we wrap up the show with real things real people said into real microphones. It's the Hoffman Show on the Team 980, always live as well on the free Odyssey app. Wrapping up the show, uh, again, Doc Walker in tomorrow and all of next week for me. I'll see you all the Monday following, and then I'm off to Indianapolis for the NFL Combine that Tuesday and Wednesday before flying back on Thursday. We'll have a ton of content from you uh, or for you from Indianapolis, always great to get a bunch of great sit downs. I'm sure like some of the PFF guys will swing by, you know, we had field Yates on earlier today. We'll check back in with him. If you missed our interview with field, make sure you check out the podcast, uh, the Hoffman show podcast available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Odyssey app and anywhere else you get your pods. Uh, Logan and I always record live in Indy, which is really fun. Um, last year we did a crossover episode with my fitness podcast. Cause obviously the training for the combine is a huge part of it. So maybe we'll do that again. So the it, combine is such a great time, uh, and such a great like content factory. So very excited to get there and do all of that. Um, beyond that, uh, Anthony, have you talked to doc at all or slash, you know, what you guys are going to be doing tomorrow on the show? This is the part where we preview tomorrow or, you know, because we've been doing the show today. You haven't. You haven't exactly gotten there yet. Yeah, Doc actually texted me earlier uh, in the show, and I told him I was on air, and I really haven't given it too much thought. But he has some guys that he's already uh, contacted. So, oh. um, yeah, we, we, we might get Chris Miles on, though, to uh, preview NBA All-Star Weekend um, with mm. Doc. Uh, that's about it right now. Okay. I mean, here's the thing. Sometimes I'm, like – I'm on. I get tagged on Twitter, for instance, because it's my show, and like, you know, oh, in for Craig Hoffman, and we've got, I don't have like three Hall of Famers on the show, and I'm like, oh right, you're Doc Walker. Mm-hmm. That's how you do this. Yep. The Doc Rolodex is deep, so uh, we'll see who Doc uh, has on, and of course, Doc, I'm sure we'll have thoughts. You know who I'm pretty sure Doc is going to just be fawning over tomorrow. Who? Joe Witt Jr. <laughs> Yeah, that probably. is a Doc Walker kind of coach yeah. right there. I got to say, man, I, you know, we, we had Quinn on last week and I pushed him a little bit, not in like an antagonistic way, but he kind of gave what I would consider a stand, like a good but standard coach answer about, you know, we want to be physical, our play style. And hearing Joe, and, and I asked him, um, before we get to the Joe Witt part of it, like, how do you actually get that done because every coach says these things and half of them fail and he's like you emphasize or you get what you emphasize 
And so for us, over assignments, over everything else, we're going to emphasize physicality, strain, finish, explosiveness. And you hear Joe Witt today talking about, I mean, obviously these two guys have worked together, so I'm not surprised it's the same language, but you want to talk about being on the same page. Like, we're going to arrive with bad intentions. The ball, I love, I love his ball is life. We're going to need to pull the Ted Lasso, uh, Danny Rojas ball is life clip and just have that. Every time the commanders get a turnover, we're going to hit the ball is life button. I think that would be a, a fun bit. And uh, I think we're going to be able to hit that a lot because this is the stuff they preach. They preach that physicality and like it oozes out of it, out of Joe Witt Jr. in a way that, you know, if you're a player and you can imagine being in a meeting with that guy and it's like, I know it's important to you. If I go rock somebody uh, and, and I'm a linebacker, you know, coming down to fit a run. And even if I fit the wrong gap, but I do it physically, I'm probably going to get points, which not that you're looking to do the wrong gap, but like, if you make a mistake, make it quickly. And if you're going to play, play fast and play violently and let the rest take care of itself because offensively you can get messed up. Like, of course, beautiful execution, X's and O's. You want to see it all come together. Oh, look at the angles. Like that stuff's all great. If you are a linebacker and you can't get to your gap, but you blow up a guard somewhere else, you might've opened up something else to make a play. And of course, assignment discipline is, is the most important thing. I don't want to sound like I'm talking about, or is incredibly important. I'm not, I don't, I'm not trying to sound like someone who's talking out of both sides of his mouth, because I think if you hear me analyze football, it tends to be very analytical and assignment based. And like, this is, this is what happened. This is what went wrong. Um, or this is what went right. This is why this worked. We put this defender in conflict, yada, yada, yada. But like, there is something too. sometimes you just line up and kick the ass of the person in front of you. It is a sport where that is a thing. And there are times where you have it drawn up perfectly and one dude wrecks your day. And that's what they want to design is the potential for on any given play, one of 11 dudes to make a play and wreck your day because of how physical they are. And that is going to start with Dan Quinn and it is going to flow through Joe Witt and it is going to go down through that entire defensive staff. And I think they want to you know, bring that attitude offensively too, which is why it was nice to hear Cliff about running uh, Cliff talk about running the football, being balanced and, you know, establishing the line of scrimmage, uh, even though he's going to still bring, even if he's not calling it air raid, some air raid components to this offense. All right, Ant, let's do it. Uh, one final time for me this week. Uh, real things, real people said into real microphones, real things. We're not going to be this year. Real people. Five and 11. Not very good. Said into real microphones. You know, the culture is actually damn good. All right, more from uh, the press conference today, including this one from Cliff Kingsbury. Um, I actually didn't know this. Anthony Lynn, they, he and Cliff, uh, you try to find the, the commonalities. There's not a lot there. It's like, why did they hire this guy? Clearly, it's the alma mater, silly. Excited about Anthony. He's been a, a head coach. Um, another Texas Tech Red Raider, which you can't have enough of those rocket scientists on the staff. Um, uh, Cliff, Cliff with the wry sense of humor. Also, Cliff Kingsbury has such a deep voice. Yeah, he do, man. I think, I think Cliff and Kevin Sheehan need to do an interview. You think Kevin's voice is deep? Are you serious right now? (laughs) Say Kevin, Kevin interviewing Cliff, like in studio where, you know, good microphones. 
I think I think we're talking blowing some speakers. The bass in that. Oh yeah, 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 definitely. Then yeah. flexion. I, okay, I, I can hear you then. What uh? What do you? Hey, what? How'd you blow your speaker? You bump in some eight oh eights back there. Like what? No, nah, dude. I was listening to nine eighty, and uh, Kevin Sheehan interviewed Cliff Kingsbury, and their voices were just so deep that, wow. Would you rather hear those two speak, or the rooster? What? Why you? Why'd you bring Russell? Because ro- rooster's loud. Oh yeah, that could also blow a speaker. All right, uh, y'all have fun without me. Uh, Dock in tomorrow.